It's been said that luck is the intersection of preparation and opportunity. Welcome to the Australian Hunting Backcountry podcast, where we will focus on all things hunting in the backcountry, not just in Australia, but everywhere that backcountry hunting is possible. My name is Tobias, and if you're a hunter with no backpacking experience, or even an expert, I would like you to join me as we explore gear, places, and technologies hear lived experiences, different perspectives, and share the passion that people have for a hard-earned backpack hunt. I appreciate you being here with me as I try to increase the knowledge that will bring us better luck in the backcountry. Welcome to this episode of Australian Hunting Backcountry. This is a gear dump that Jason from Liquid Antler and I do. Uh, we sit down together in the Australian Hunting Backcountry headquarters, also known as my living room, and go through our gear lists and um, what worked on the trip and what didn't work. Um, during the first part, we didn't realise how long the recording was taking and both Jason and I had commitments later that day that we had to rush off to. So it does sound a little disjointed as it uh, stops suddenly. The second part of the recording, we were a little bit time poor, so it is a little rushed. But if you have any questions following this, please feel free to reach out to me on email or social media. One thing that I want to start with, though, is a bit of a disclosure and a caveat. Um, uh, whilst we are talking about particular brands and so forth here, um, we do recognise that not everybody has the, the financial capacity to buy um, the top end expensive gear and we don't want to discourage you from going out and giving uh, the backpack hunting a go thinking that you need to have all this super expensive gear. Um, this is stuff that I've built up over many years and I, I started out as well with some of uh, the cheaper gear, different brands and for whatever reason uh, I'm not criticizing any of the, the other brands um, but I just settled upon these brands and um, I haven't stopped here, by the way. I'm going to, I am going to make some changes. Um, and there's a lot of, nowadays, there's so many good brands out there. And um, there's, a, there's been some vast improvements in technology from when I started all of this too. So really, it, it, why I might have selected certain brands was simply because that was the only thing available at the time or the only thing that I could get in Australia. Um, so I just want you to bear that in mind that um, we do... Uh, we do like these brands, but then they're, they're not going to suit everybody and um, don't take us as being the experts at all in this where I'm still learning every every trip I'm learning, uh, listening to people, talking to other people, I'm still learning uh, and even just in my conversations with Jason from his experience and um, the things that he had, you know, I've learned things as well. Yeah, because our, our kit was quite different, really, for um, you know similar kind of experience and exposure to hunting. Um, I suppose the only thing is, though, be prepared. Um, backpack hunting conditions can change, so you definitely don't need the most expensive gear, but make sure you have got the correct gear for the environment you're heading to. It could it could save your life potentially. Yeah, yeah. and everything with the gear too is a compromise. You know, if you if you want more comfort, your you compromise is you're going to need more weight. So you've got to draw your own line in the sand to work out where where your comfort level uh, is is tolerable too uh, in, in terms of how much weight you're going to sacrifice. So You must be pretty comfy then at 42 kgs. <laughs> 30, 37. Oh, sorry. 37. Come on. <laughs> uh, I don't think I would have made the walk if I was over 40. But 
Um, look, in terms of uh, disclosure as well to affiliates and that sort of things too, uh, I personally don't have any affiliates uh, with any of the brands that I've recommended. Um, through the podcast, I've, I've met people and um, uh, been offered uh, products and that sort of thing. Um, so I'll, I'll, at that stage, I didn't have any affiliates with any brands. So um, the, all of my, my just choices and discoveries were things that I'd learned along the way. Um, just because uh, people are offering me things in the future, though, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to automatically recommend those either. Yeah, same from me. I suppose with me, I'll be up front. Um, Huntech do supply some of my hunting gear. However, saying that, I have used Huntech historically for a long time, um, and I find it great gear, so that's one disclosure. And I suppose um, for that trip, I was uh, running lower boots that were supplied by lower. However, once again, I had previously purchased a pair of lower ranges and loved them. So uh, those are the two main ones, I suppose, to be up at front about. Yeah. So that was, they were your, the, the, the first pair of lower boots you'd purchased yourself. Correct. And then the second pair were, were supplied by them. Had they not supplied them, would you have bought those boots again anyway? I would have. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I mean. Like even though, even though we, we might be supplied the gear, it's something that we would still recommend. So we're... Um, now back in Brisbane, Queensland, sitting in my uh, living room. Uh, again, I've got Jason from Liquid Antler here with me. And we're just going to do a bit of a, um, a breakdown of the gear that we took and some of the weights and some of the um, lessons that we've picked up from the gear that we took in. Um, our, we did disclose our pack weights, but we'll, we'll go through those again um, just to give everybody an idea of, of the weight that we were carrying so that um, I guess we can, in the next trip, aim to uh, lower that weight. Uh, that's certainly my goal for the next trip. Uh, I was in, um, I guess in all fairness, I was carrying in a bit of extra gear just to test some things out. Uh, so I had um, probably two of things that I would normally only carry one. But then sometimes it's good to have two of things that are, are necessary because in the back country, uh, the old saying goes, one is none, two is one. <laughs> so things that you, you rely on that are, are necessary, uh, I say that, that are, are more than necessary, and in fact essential, um, it's often better to carry two of those and a little bit of weight penalty is, is worth the security. So, Jason, I'll uh, um, give you the chance to kick off, um, since you're the, you're the guest. Hey, thanks for that, Tobias. Well, yeah, I suppose it is just a good opportunity to give a rundown. I'm always interested to hear what other people or what gear other people are using, other hunters are using. So, yeah, hopefully a few of the listeners, listeners find this um, interesting. So, I suppose to start off, the weight of my pack at the start of the trip, so this is the start of the track, about to head off. Um, was 32.5 kgs. So 32.5 kgs, that was with the rifle and scope attached to the pack at the time. Uh, so we have weighed that up this, after, this morning and the rifle and scope was 4 kgs. So that brings my kind of pack weight to a total of uh, 28.5 kgs um, for the start of our, what was it, five day trip into the Alpine high country. Mm. Um, so with that, I suppose we'll talk about packs to start off with. And I was running the Tatonka Bison uh, 75 plus 10 uh, pack. 
So I've used that for quite a few years now, and I did actually just weigh that this morning, and that pack came to a total of 3.2 kgs. So, um, yep, that's my go-to backpacking um, my, my pack I use. Um, but in saying that, I, which I did bring around this morning, I am going to be trying out this Tonka uh, modular system, uh, which they have introduced recently. So that's kind of a, a modular system where you can you know move the 75 liter or 30 liter pack onto a frame. Um, which I'll try out on my next trip. But yeah, like I said, for this trip, I was using the Tatonga Bison. And I was running the Stone Glacier Guide 7900 on this trip. Um, it is a very big pack. Um, it's uh, the largest pack that uh, Stone Glacier make that has the meat shelf on it. I think they do have a slightly larger one. I think it's an 8000, um, but that one doesn't have the uh, load shelf. It has an integrated meat compartment in it. Um, I, we were, we were discussing before when you, uh, when you first got here, the reasoning that I go to a bigger pack rather than a smaller pack. And years ago, I used to run the smaller pack under the thinking that under the mindset that if you had less room, then you were going to take less because the temptation was to fill the, the void with things that you didn't necessarily need. But what I learned over the years was that you just had to be more disciplined. You had to create a list and you had to stick to the list. And I've heard uh, John Barclow say, a what if weighs a lot. So the mindset of throwing something in just because, oh, if this happens, then I'll need this. Or if this happens, then I'll need that. And really, you've got to get in the in the habit of stripping it right back and, and thinking, okay, I'm... I'm just going to make do. If if that breaks, I'm I'm going to make do, or I put this, or you know, maybe maybe the trip's over. Maybe we've got to hike out to the car and get something, or something like that. So you can't take gear for uh, every possibility. But having said that, I do like the extra space, uh, particularly on cold weather hunts where you have a lot of puffy layers that take up room. Um, and for me as well, uh, I obviously have the, the podcast gear and the, the intention was when I set up the podcast gear that it was going to be completely transportable so that we could do things like this and record a, a podcast in a remote location. So I've got a, um, a hard case there that uh, goes in the bottom of the pack and that obviously takes up quite a bit of airspace. So the Stone Glacier pack that I was running, uh, we weighed it this morning and with the hip belts and two uh, internal pouches as well is 3.02 kilos. So with that, Tobias, what was your actual initial weight when you hit the hit the trail? We can't we can't skip past that. Uh, I was gonna yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so the initial weight with the rifle attached to the pack and the podcast gear was 37 kilos. Uh, I think it was just under 37 kilos, but we'll call it nice around 37 kilos. And normally, like I said, I wouldn't be uh, going in with that much weight. As I said, there, there was a couple of things I doubled up on just to, to test a bit of gear uh, and that the podcast gear obviously added a few more kilos. Um, so while I guess while we're, we're on that point, I'll disclose the weight of the podcast gear. So in the case with a um, uh, external battery pack as well, which I need to, to run this recording gear, it's 3.36 kilos. Okay. And the rifle I'm running is a um, uh, Remington 700. Uh, it's been very customized and it's sitting in a proof research carbon fiber stock. And that was 
see if I can find it on my list. That was 4.2 kilos with a Stealthy Hunter scope cover and three rounds of ammunition. So that gets you down to around that 30 kg mark, I suppose, once you're pretty close, to that, just above, just under that 30 kg mark. Yeah, probably just under 30 kgs with, with uh, taking into account the podcast gear and the rifle. Yeah. So even 30 kgs is probably a little bit heavier than what I'd like. I generally try to be around the 25. Um, sometimes on, uh, particularly on colder weather hunt, it's a little bit difficult to, to get under 25, um, but I'm sure it's... I'm sure it's quite possible, but um, you have to sacrifice a bit of comfort as well to do that. Um, so the the other gear that we were, I guess, carrying and wearing um, would be the next thing to go to. Yeah, so I'll jump in, I suppose, with a bit of a rundown of what I was wearing um, as we're hiking in. Uh, so first of all, I was running the Lower Ranger um, GTX boots. Um, so they're the wide kind of version that fits my foot. Um, and I have, this is the first time I've actually weighed these, um, and they were 1.9 kgs. Um, so I was running the ranges. As you've probably heard on the previous podcast, I did forget my gaiters. So usually I always run my Morocco 30 snake-proof gaiters in Australia. Um, unfortunately, I forgot those, and that was a pain, to be honest. Just when, you, when, you const- when you're used to um, running gaiters, and, and then you forget them, oh, it was just a, you know, water, snow, everything was ended up inside my boots so that was definitely a mistake um i won't forget again so i'll make sure they're packed next time i do remember i was walking behind you at one point and we were going across a bit of ice and um i I did notice that the your boots were flicking up bits of chunks of ice and they were falling straight into the top of your your (laughs) opposite boot yeah i thought yep you're going to have cold feet today and wet socks tonight yeah definitely it's amazing just how um what a difference they make having gaiters. So range of boots, no gaiters, and for the socks, I was running the, um, what are they, the Catman 2 New Yarn socks. Um, so that was kind of my boot-sock combo that I was running for it. How do you, um, that, that's quite a, a light uh, boot. I was quite surprised at the weight of those. That, that's for both, isn't it? That's not one, Correct. that's for both. Yeah, yeah I think for, the weight of them is actually really, they're such a versatile boot. Like I've used them down the South Island in New Zealand um, and, and big country, and... I've found them stiff enough for what I need, um, still nice and quiet for stalking when I need. So for me, I have tried stiffer boots. I had tried more kind of flexible boots, but for me, I think the ranges uh, really kind of hit that that sweet spot for me, as well as the weight kind of compromise as well. Mm. Uh, do you have feet that can kind of tolerate any sort of boot? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm lucky. I can throw my feet into any boot, um, and I pretty well don't have any issues. Like with these, with these ranges, I've never had a single blister or anything like that um yep they will get sore you know as anyone's feet do after full day smashing around the hills but i am lucky in that aspect that i can um my feet are relatively uh, tough for um wear and tear and, and and yeah just one single pair of socks plus any type of boot and i'm, and I'm relatively good to go mm. you you've got lucky feet then i have uh, unlucky feet um i have spent thousands of dollars on boots over the years and um have hated every set um basically i've worn up until i got myself a set of lower tibets now i I will also say that these boots i had done by uh, lathrop and sons over in um, america um they're a a company uh, i think they're a family of podiatrists Mm -hmm. and they have their their own um, footbed system they have a foot mapping system they send you out this 
this kit and you stand on it and it does an ink impression and then you trace around your, your foot and you do that a couple of times and send that back to them and then they, they have a consultation with you. And anyway, I got to the point, like I said, I got to the point of desperation. I was sick of getting blisters. I was sick of having um, pain and, and <clears throat> all sorts of issues with my feet. Um, and it was, it was to the point that I was, uh, you know, I would, I would come out of a hunt and um, I would be almost crippled mm. uh, the next day, uh, limping around. And so I got onto these guys, and they, um, yeah, basically, I, I, if you if you've got any sort of problems with your feet, I would truly recommend getting in touch with them. Um, reach out to them on social media. They've got a, a website. Um, so I had these boots done about four years ago, and they have this injection molded footbed that it looks really odd but it actually feels incredibly comfortable goes in your boot and what they actually did was they stretched my right boot for me as well um, because apparently my right foot is about half a size mm -hmm. wider than my left foot so I kind of need what they said was I basically need a, um, a size 45 on my left foot and a size 46 on my right foot but you know then you've got to buy two pairs of boots and then you've got mismatched boots so they they stretched this one for me um so i've been really happy with the lyle tibets um they're starting to show their age now this is probably the last year that uh, i'll get out of them so i might have to contact lathrop again and and uh, talk about getting another set but those boots there were 2.39 kilos that we weighed and that's with the footbed in them as well and I, it is a a dense sort of silicone -y um footbed so it is a little bit heavier than a normal footbed um and i know that's that sounds like a lot of weight uh you know it's over a kilo on on each the end of each foot which you know people will say that translate into about 10 kilos at, at your hips um but the benefit for me of having those the comfort uh, the ability to hike all day in them uh, you know and and after a good night rest uh, my feet are good to go again yeah, I think I think that's worth the wait. And how did you find your feet after that? I think we had about a three-hour walk-in on this on this trip with a thirty-seven kg pack. Um, how did you feet? You know, of course they're going to be sore or bits and pieces, but no no blistering or anything like that. No, no blistering. Uh, I also run two pairs of socks too. So I have the uh, the Kathmandu new yarn socks, and which I think um, and and I I put you onto those um, mm, because I think uh, value for money uh, given what they are. Um, particularly when Kathmandu are always having sales and, and it's their own brand, so they'll quite often have up to 40% off. So for, you know, 20-something dollars for a pair of socks, I think they're, they're excellent value for money. And I also use Injinjin toe socks, uh, the Coolmax ones. Um, so I use the, uh, the liner socks to wick the sweat away from my feet out into the into the outer sock and then hopefully out of the boot. Um, but they also dry really quickly. So um, there was a day there where we had uh, wet socks from the rain. And when we were sitting on the hill glassing, I, uh, I took my boots off and, and took my uh, Kathmandu, my Merino socks off and just let my feet air out with the Njinjins on. And they dried out very quickly. Uh, it was a little bit cold, but, but having um, dry socks is, is really important. So yeah, no no blisters, a uh, little bit of pain, which you'd expect from carrying that sort of weight, and 
other than that, uh, like I said, after a good night's sleep, uh, a couple of Nurofen, uh, you know, the next morning, aches and pains are all gone and good to go again. Oh, perfect. So I suppose then we'll just we'll roll into, I suppose, the clothing we're wearing. So we've got our boots sorted, one of the main kind of crucial bits of kit. Um, so for the walk-in trip, I was running the, what was I doing? They had the hunting and fishing uh, thermals. So they're just their polyester, well, not polyester, their, their thermal product they produce, not the merino, but just a cheap version. So I wear their long johns and their long sleeve shirt. Um, I've got that traditional kind of New Zealand style with the, the long johns and I was wearing the Huntec rugger shorts. So that's where I wear on the bottoms. And then I was just running a Huntec shingle sweatshirt um, with the Mansfield hunting and fishing blaze hat and a pair of sunnies. So relatively, it was quite a, I don't know, warm morning, so it wasn't too bad. So that was, that was the kind of gear that I was, I was running for that walk-in. Um, all up, yeah, rel- operated pretty well. Um, the long johns do take a bit of a beating wading through, but that's what I kind of purchased them for. They, you know, every two or three trips, I probably buy a new pair of long johns. So that's what I was wearing for my, my walk-in. Yeah, we, we did discuss the uh, the traditional New Zealand uh, hunting garb, and um, I, I'm definitely a pants man. I um, That sounds horrible to say it like that. I, I definitely prefer to wear pants when I'm hunting. Um, I, I can't do the, the uh, merino, uh, ex- the exposed merino base layer. So I had um, it. It wasn't a super cold day when we when we started, and I think we kicked off about eleven thirty. Yeah, about yeah. yeah. So we're right in that um, that warmer part of the day. Um, I had a Kathmandu sleeveless merino um, shirt on. I, I just seem to prefer the the sleeveless version. I've had. Um, other brands of, of t-shirts, merino t-shirts, and I just find with the merino, uh, it tends, the seams tend to be quite bulky, and um, uh, it becomes annoying under my arms, so I prefer the, the sleeveless one. Um, I had the Kuyu Pro Pants, uh, I really like those, they, um, they've got a, a bit of insulation to them, they've got the sewn in knee pads, they dry quickly, they're tough, yeah. Uh, and and I I like the the uh, the Kuyu gear, Gators Kuyu Gators again, a Kuyu uh, Peloton shirt, a lightweight sh- long sleeve shirt, and then I had a midweight uh, Kuyu shirt to go over the top of that, and and I sort of took that off and put it on as as was needed as it as it got colder or or I warmed up, and. Also uh, was wearing a set of the fingerless uh, ragwool gloves that um, I've spoken about before uh, that I got off of Amazon. Uh, I liked having those. I find that walking with uh, gloves on, my hands tend to heat up quite a bit. And so then they either sweat or I get annoyed by having gloves on and take them off. And then my hands up and my fingers end up getting cold. So... By having these fingerless ones on, this is the first time I've tried them out. By having them, I just found that it was a really good balance between uh, keeping some some warmth in the in the main part of my hand, and that was keeping the the blood that was sort of flowing out to my fingertips uh, warmer. And I didn't find that I got um, overly hot, and that my fingertips didn't get too cold. So I still had good dexterity there, and um, and still kept them warm and, and comfortable. 
when when we stopped, I did have um, some zip-off Kuyu Merino long johns to put on. Um, they're really convenient because you don't have to take your pants off. Uh, you just drop your gaiters, take your pants down, and you can zip them on or zip them off and yeah, regulate your, your temperature that way. And then uh, the cap. And I have a, uh, I think it's a ridgeline... And it's kind of a, a synthetic fleecy yeah. um, cap in blaze orange with the, the black brim. And I like that because it, uh, it does help to keep your head warm um, with a little bit of insulation. But it's also um, blaze orange as well. And it's got a bit of camo pattern in it. So there's a bit of sort of black design there as well. And we... Um, we did discuss wearing the, the blaze in, in Victoria and and our understanding is that it's not compulsory like it is in, in New South Wales with the, the G licence and this public land there. Um, but we still both thought it was a good idea to at least have a little bit of blaze orange showing. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, and I'm always, I always wear a hat when I'm hunting. I personally find just to reduce that sun glare definitely just improves... Just my visual kind of just, you know, scanning for deer has been either hiking or hunting. So, yeah, I personally always try to run a hat, even if I'm wearing a beanie at times. I'll even have the hat under the beanie just to really reduce that glare from the sun as much as possible. Mm. One of the things I've noticed too with uh, the blaze orange caps that I always look for is the underside of the brim being uh, blacked out or or a different colour, not not blaze orange because I have seen... Uh, I, I've looked at mates across the other side of a, a, a gully, you know, with the, the blaze orange on, and and if the sun's in the right position, that the underside of that brim just reflects down onto their face, and then it just lights it up like a spotlight. And I've actually used them before, the cheaper versions of the blaze hats, with you know, like I say, with the blaze underneath, and, and just the glare also um, from the sun reflecting off the blaze into your eyes is just it's just terrible. It's, it's not workable. Mm. And I also, in these later years, have had to wear glasses too. And I find that without that black brim, the the glare again comes down onto your, your glasses, on the inside of your glasses, and it actually kind of um, throws a, a flare, a light flare onto the inside of your glasses. Mm-hmm. Other than, than those clothes then, um, what other clothes did you take in with you? Okay, so just to give you a bit of a breakdown of the other gear that I that I took in and why. So, um, my main kind of wet weather gear I took was the uh, Huntec McKenzie Anorak. Um, I love this. So this is just like a one piece pullover, um, half zip in the in the centre with the Anorak style. It is probably it is a little bit noisier than some of the other hunting rain jackets on the market in regards to if you are pushing through thick vegetation and things. But the thing I love about the the Mackenzie Anorak is how quickly it, it dries and it also doesn't kind of retain the, um, the, the the moisture from the rain. Some of them can get very, very heavy and you pretty much have a, 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 a water sodden rain jacket supposedly for the remainder of the trip while the, um, the Anorak I'm running seems to stay um, nice and dry, lightweight, but also keeps that rain out. We did get the rain for one day and um, I was nice and dry underneath. No dramas there. They're nicely seam sealed, um, and I've had no dramas with with that with that rain jacket. I don't think it is possible to have quiet rain gear that's actually effective. Correct. Um, so I think that's that's kind of 
uh, yeah, not not really something that needs to be uh, an expectation when you're buying rain gear because the the primary concern is obviously keeping you dry. And I know what you're saying with that that rain gear that um, stays wet. Um, I remember I I won't mention the brand, but they um, they had a, a blaze orange rain jacket which I thought was a good idea, and it was touted as being quiet in inverted commas. But it was once it got wet, it stayed wet, and yeah. and every day I was cold because I had this cold, wet thing wrapped around me, yeah. and with the wind blowing, so I I froze on that trip. And um, when I came home, that was that was the first thing that I got rid of. Definitely, I'd recommend if you are looking for a rain jacket, ignore the silence slash fabrics, and definitely focus on something that's going to keep you dry. If you're dry, you're warm, and then you can also pack it away or put it back on you on you the next day with with no dramas. So. Mm. Yeah, they, there's some brands out there that are advertising breathable rain gear, and uh, I, I'm quite yet I'm yet to find something that is actually really breathable and actually effective as rain gear. So I think with rain gear, it's kind of you're going to get wet in some form. You're either going to sweat inside it, or it's going to eventually get to a point where it, it saturates through because it, you know even rain gear, most rain gear has has its limit. It does. With the Huntech uh, Anorak, they do have the zips under the armpits, uh, so you can dump heat to an extent. It does help trying to, you know, if you are sweating underneath, then trying to dump a bit of that heat um, while still keeping you relatively warm and dry. Um, so that was running the McKenzie Anorak, so that just folds up nice and small and packs away into my, into my pack. I always take a down jacket. I would just run a MacPack Halo down jacket. It's around 550 grams in weight. Uh, it's, it's a relatively affordable down jacket. They do do it on special um, with the MacPack sales. You can pick it up for between the $100 and $120 range, which I find excellent. Then on top of that, I just what I try and do is I always have my hunting gear and my night or sleeping gear. So when I'm back at the tent or at the hut, um, I change gear. So for this trip, I also had the Huntech trail jacket. Uh, this is, once again, just quite a lightweight polyester um uh, jacket which has been great a men's glacier tech uh, long sleeve top once again it's a lightweight fabric and i'd put that on underneath um, my trail jacket when i'm back around the camp and i always have a change of merino um, long johns and long sleeve uh, top uh, once again you get back to that tent you're cold you're wet you can you can change into some warm merino gear um, with a change of clothes and it just makes such a difference to be try to keep warm around around camp Additional things I also taught brought with me were three extra pairs of socks. Um, I always like to have uh, Spare socks on me. I try to stick with one sock during the, during the hunt However, if they do get extremely wet, I will change um, you know halfway during the trip But I always have dry socks um, for sleeping at night Saying that, I did have issues with keeping my feet warm uh, during this trip. It did get extremely cold, so I will be looking at what options I can for have a bit more or an improvement in the insulated sock because I was just running um, the Katmandu um, New Yarn socks. I had three pairs of those and then just one uh, woolen sock. Um, uh, the uh, woolen socks, were they the ones that ended up Replacing the gloves? Correct. We'll get to the gloves shortly. But yes, they came in very handy as a replacement pair of gloves when the the gloves weren't really doing what they were supposed to do. Mm. Um, and then in addition to that, I also have 
Two beanies, I run a first light merino which has like a built-in peak on it, which I find good for once again reducing that glare when I need to. And I had a bush edge 100% um, merino beanie, which I was kind of my go-to. That was always on my head uh, during the majority of the trip. Gloves, I've already talked about it, but I'll quickly go through it again. Um, I was running the Bush Edge 100% uh, Merino gloves. They were nice, basic, very affordable. I think they were $18, but, but worked well. Um, had no dramas with those. But then we get to the Seal Skin Waterproof All-Weather Sport Glove. Um, and that's where I did have a few issues. I talked about it on a previous podcast. But yeah, biggest one there was they say they are 100% waterproof, windproof, um, and will keep your hands insulated to a certain extent. However, my experience was um, quite negative. They, I found them, they just, they just weren't keeping my hands warm enough. Um, even with my merino ones inside, it felt like once I put those seal skins on, I don't know what was the problem if they were slightly damp or, but I ended up yeah, getting rid of them for the majority of the trip and honestly just running some wool, uh, wool socks over my hands at times so a bit of a disappointment really when when you pay that money and you, actually I was recommended by quite a few people about those seal skin gloves but never mind I'll keep looking and, and see what else I can find. Yeah I've seen other people uh, wearing them on their videos so <clears throat> it was um, and, and seal skin's obviously got a, a good name so it was it was interesting yeah, I guess to hear some, your experience. Some, some things work for some people just those just for me, it didn't personally work, so yeah. back to the drawing board, and um, I've already been looking at different options, so yeah. let's see what else I can find. Yeah, But yeah, I keep my clothing relatively straightforward, that was pretty much all the gear I took. Overall, I was relatively warm um, and dry, um, we were in some pretty tough conditions, but that kind of gear that I just outlined kept me you know, warm enough to, to hunt and, and sleep as well, so... Um, I haven't actually done a, I didn't actually weigh all this gear, um, but yeah, that was kind of a rundown of, of, of what I was running. Mm. Um, other than the um, uh, than the, the seal skin uh, gloves not coming up to, to spec, what gloves are, are you looking at? To be honest, I was just looking at, um, it's just what popped up on my um, page, but there's just some Kathmandu ones, so like a mitten style. Um, I the biggest time I find that my, my hands get cold is when we're glassing. So you're spending those long hours uh, glassing away. And just doing a bit of research, the middens are definitely the way to try and improve the, um, the insulation of your hands. So I may look at a mitten style. Mm. Um, still run my merino wool ones for general hiking and bits and pieces, but it's more when you're stationary um, at that spot glassing for hours that you want to try and keep those hands as warm. So I think I'll go for a bit of a mitten style. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that is the um, uh, the hardest. I think your fingertips are probably the hardest part of your body to try and keep warm, um, because, like you say, they they when you're up glassing and they're exposed to the wind, you know you need to hold on to the the binos or your spotter or, or tripod and moving it around, and you can't tuck them into your jacket as often as you'd like. So, um, well, I was uh, I also took in. Um, I guess the, the gloves I was using while we we're on that subject um, are the Kuyu Yukon Pro gloves and inside them I have a pair of uh, Kathmandu Merino liner gloves just to try and add a little bit of extra um, insulation to the gloves. They're not super warm, uh, those gloves, um, 
but they're they're fairly water resistant. So if you're um, and wind resistant, so it does kind of give you a bit of a bit of compromise between um, uh, bulk and losing that dexterity and still having a little bit of warmth. Um, the rainwear that I have is now I use a, a rain jacket and rain pants, and the reason I, I use rain pants as well is I have it, it's often easier to sit out a rainstorm if you can just tuck yourself into a tree, um, you know, underneath a tree and just um, uh, let the rain come and, and hit your, your clothing and then when it's gone, you can get up, take it off and then keep walking. And I found that the rain pants, these ones have got zippers up the side. I think they're outdoor research. I got them on sale um rei i think had them on sale a while ago and uh they're gore-tex so uh, they're, they're really good and they've got zippers on the side so you can just slip them on and off fairly quickly you don't need to take your boots off and they we weighed them today they're 324 grams for that pair of of pants and like i said what i found is when you uh, got a bit of a rainstorm coming through you can throw them on, throw your rain jacket on, sit under a tree or, or sit under a little tarp or find somewhere to sort of shelter and then let the rain come through. You don't mind that it's it's hitting you and you can get up afterwards, take them off and keep walking and, and your pants are still dry. Um, if you need to still move, you can do so in these pants and obviously you know you do build up a bit of heat depending on how much you're exerting yourself. But uh, just for me, I've found that, that the rain pants have been a, a really good addition. So I have been humming and hurrying a little bit about a, an outer kind of pant for the, you know, a rain pant. But um, I suppose for me, with my long johns, it seem, they seem to dry out pretty quick. So mm. And I don't seem to get too cold in down my legs. Definitely my upper, upper half um, cools down, but I find the polyprops do enough for me. They dry out relatively quickly. So I think I won't be purchasing any anytime soon. But yeah, they've mm. always interested me. But extra weight, extra bits and pieces. But they're like you're saying, your ones are only three hundred twenty grams, so pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And obviously the advantage too is that um, I also use um, uh, puffy pants, which I'll talk about in a minute. So if you're sitting in the glass somewhere, you can throw your puffy pants on and then throw your rain pants on over the top, and it just gives you that extra layer of um, insulation from the wind. Um, the puffy pants don't stop the wind. They will um, help keep the heat in. But with the rain pants on over the top again, that just helps lock that heat in and, and keeps you warm while you're sitting down for long periods of time. I was envious of your puffy pants. Um, with, you know, glass in a way, you got your nice puffy pants on. And here I am sitting by Long John, so no, I was envious. <laughs> I did offer them to you at one point, but... Um, <laughs> And the rain jacket is the uh, Kuyu um, Kutana uh, rain jacket, and I really like this jacket. It's um, it's tough. I can I can wear it while I'm walking, pushing through scrub. Um, it again, it's not super quiet, but you know, like we've already said, that's that's I think a impossibility to try and achieve that. Um, it's got a bit of flexibility to it too, 
and it's big enough so that I can layer up underneath it. So I'll put my puffy jacket on and then throw that on over the top. Um, and yeah, I, I haven't had any issues with that leaking. Um, good, good size, good fit. Um, good hood on it too, which I think is important because if you do need to wait out a storm, um, particularly if there's a, a, quite a bit of wind in it as well, you can cinch that hood up around your, your face and, and neck and um, stops the, the rain from blowing in over the, the top of your collar. That jacket is uh, 619 grams that we weighed it this morning. Um, and it's easy to take care of too. I just come home from a trip and, and throw it in the dryer and let it run around for 20 minutes and that uh, resets the... Um, the DWR on it apparently, and then and it's good to go again. Um, so insulation-wise, uh, I have a, uh, a Kathmandu down jacket. Uh, again, Kathmandu gear when it's on sale is really hard to beat pricing-wise. Um, so that one, it's a little bit heavy, um, but I, I'm yet to be able to, to sort of justify spending money on another down jacket just because it's lighter when that one's doing the job um, I also have a MacPack uh, down vest um, again MacPack's another one of those um, brands that when they're on sale it's it's hard to beat for value and the Kuyu down pants uh, now I got them for about four years ago now 2019 when, when I was in the States um, I, I think they've got a different um, version of them out now it might be slightly um, bigger these pants are designed to go under sorry over the top of of um, your pants so that the ones the other ones they have now I think uh, maybe have some more down in them uh, and slightly different material on the outside but like I said I, I use these pants um, and then throw the, the rain pants on over the top other than that, um, I didn't take a lot of extra clothing. Uh, for some reason, I'm still not sure why, uh, I chose not to bring some spare socks on this trip. Um, Jason was, was entertaining himself with hand puppets with his spare socks over his hands. Um, so when, when my socks got wet that day we had the rain, I, I did regret not having them. Um, but it's also reasonably easy to dry them out uh, overnight. Like I said, the... Um, the line of socks I had, they dry fairly quickly. So when when they were wet that night, I got in the sleeping bag, took my merino socks off, and I just tucked them down inside my pants against my um, my thighs, upper thighs, um, because that's a, the largest muscle in your body. It generates the most heat, so it's easy to, to use that as a bit of a heat source and dry things out. And I wore my... Um, liners in the sleeping bag that night uh some of the other clothing i was wearing was quite wet too but um i just jumped in the sleeping bag and used my body heat in the sleeping bag to dry it all out and the next morning it was it was good to go having said that however it would have been nice uh, to have another dry pair of socks to put on instead it's not much weight penalty so exactly. for the weight and size it's throw a couple extra pairs in and <coughs> you love it yeah yeah and normally I would take a spare pair of socks, uh, the liners and, and the, the merino socks, particularly because the liners are thin and sometimes, uh, you know, you, you could end up wearing through or getting a tear in them or something. And, and um, that's part of the system I use to help stop getting blisters. And like I said, for some reason, I 
when I was packing my bag, I looked at these pair, spare pair of socks and I put them to the side and didn't bother putting them in. So I'm still not sure why I made that choice. But um, anyway, only other clothing I really brought that was um, a camp clothing, I guess, is a, a long sleeve uh, Kuyu Pro Merino top. And I brought that just to sleep in. Um, to add another layer and I hardly wore it uh, so I don't think I'll bother bringing that again um, just for that purpose if I'm if I'm going to wear it when I'm hunting I'll bring it but um, just for sleeping clothes yeah I um, I don't think I'll bother bringing that again it was a bit of bit of it and it's not a super lightweight item of clothing either so uh, I could probably do without that that weight um, the belt I have uh, as well, I think uh, I don't think I mentioned it before. It's a elastic webbing belt with plastic buckles, and I've got no idea. I cannot recall for the life of me where I got it from. I, I've got a funny feeling I bought it online at some super dodgy uh, website that sells cheap knockoff stuff. But I've never been able to find anything that sort of uh, resembles it again. Um, it's really good because it is a, a firm elastic webbing and it's got a really low profile, lightweight plastic buckle and it just sort of clips in. There's no, um, it's, not a, it's not a buckle, like a side release buckle that you have to squeeze. It just kind of, it's got a bit of a, a solid block hook on it and it just clips into a hole on the, on the other side. And the advantage of having the elastic there is I find that as your weight fluctuates during the uh, the hunt and as you layer underneath your pants as well, it kind of accommodates that without having to, uh, you know, adjust it mm-hmm. too much. And it, it's got infinite adjustment, obviously, because it, it just loops through the, the buckle. So if you need to um, shorten it up, you know, a couple of millimetres, you can, you can do that. Um, so a, a belt with a you know the traditional uh, yeah. uh holes and and so forth mm-hmm. you know you, you're very limited in how much you can so it's either too tight or too loose when you move to the next hole um i have seen there's some other ones around uh some other brands uh in the research that i've done when i've been trying to look for it uh i haven't bothered trying them but that's uh that's definitely a recommendation of mine is to to try and get an elastic belt um because as the hunt goes on, you tend to lose weight as you become dehydrated and uh, obviously um, uh, lose a bit of weight from all the exercise. And it just stops that uh, that drama that you have with, with belts that are um, not as, as adjustable. And being low profile as well, when you're wearing a pack, um, it doesn't interfere with that at all. Some of the other... Um, belts i've tried the the buckle was too big when you'd uh, bend over it it'd sort of pinch you or push in uh, or you know it was uncomfortable in some other way so now super important piece of gear the crocs oh yeah i actually forgot about that yes so i was we're both running crocs different um i think i was just running a traditional croc all terrains um just recently purchased them to be honest for this trip i didn't really use them uh I usually use them around, you know, camp around the tent and things. I maybe use them a couple of times, but in all honesty, they could have stayed back at home. But um, 
they're relatively lightweight. I think you weighed yours. Um, I didn't get a chance to weigh my ones, but yeah, it is nice just to be able to throw some other shoes on, get out of the boots when you are around camp. But yeah, in hindsight, we didn't use them a lot on this trip. Yeah, I um, I don't bring mine as camp shoes, although you, you can do that. Um, and mine that we weighed this morning are 453 grams. Now, I'm using the Crocs. I think they're called the Swift Water. So they're not the traditional Crocs with the sort of swing away uh, heel um, bridge. They are um, a, like a one piece. So they do have a, a heel a strap and they're a bit a bit smaller, but they have a bit of a thicker base and different sort of um, grip on the base. The reason I bring those is mainly for creek crossings. I try to keep my boots as dry as I can for as long as I can. And so I don't like wearing boots on creek crossings, but I've tried doing it in, in bare feet. I've tried, <laughs> um, you know, those uh, like aqua boots. Aqua boots, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've yep. tried those with the really thin soles. And it is it is painful yep. trying to cross a, uh, a, a creek over rocks, um, you know, sticks, logs, uh, things that you can't see. And so, yeah, that's why I brought the Crocs, was was mainly for creek crossing. And I find, I found that the, the traditional Crocs, they, because the some of the creeks uh, that you do have to cross, the water is flowing quite fast. Mm -hmm. And I just found that the, I was always scared the Crocs were going to come off my feet, were going to get washed away. So that's why I went for these swift water ones. Um, they are a, a lot tighter on your feet. They do hold on more securely. In fact, I, I think they're sort of designed for, you know, fly fishing and standing yeah. in, in flowing water. Um, and I've never, every time I've, I've had to do a creek crossing with them, I've, I've never had an issue feeling like they were going to be washed off my feet. And the, the, the soles stick enough that uh, it's comfortable when you're walking over, over rocks, you're not getting stone bruising. You can still feel your way with your feet. You've still got enough sort of um, sensitivity there that you can you can make your way uh, slowly across and and not stand on something that you shouldn't be standing on. And um, then yeah, like I said, get to the other side. They slip off easily, and uh, you can you can put your dry boots back on. So that was the main reason that I bring those. Um, because on this trip we we sort of we had a couple of plans and we didn't um we weren't 100 percent sure where we were going so we kind of wanted to have a bit of a uh, a backup we had a couple of backup plans in place and some of those backup plans uh could have involved doing some creek crossings so um that's why i wanted to bring those along in hindsight if we were going back to the same area i probably wouldn't worry about bringing them again other than that, in the clothing department, uh, the only other thing I had was a um, Kuyu Kenai uh, jacket, which is a synthetic jacket. And I brought this as well as the uh, down jacket because this is quite a, a light uh, insulation piece. So you can wear it while you're walking. Um, it does have uh, things like pit zips um, in it, so you can you know you can regulate your heat. So if you're out and about when it is quite 
cool and and windy, this is a good item to wear um, just to give you a little bit more more insulation. And particularly if you're you're stalking, if you're doing some bush stalking, so you're not generating a lot of heat. Um, you know, it's not like that when you're walking in, walking out, and you're just you know you're just storming along um, and producing a lot of body heat. Um, this is a, a very effective piece that I found for when you're just sort of sneaking along, you know, you, you might walk a few steps and stop and glass or, you know, walk 20 metres and glass for a bit and so forth. So it is for those times when you're likely to be colder and you're not generating that, that body heat. Um, you did ask me whether it was worth bringing that mm. as well as the down. Um, that was We weighed that this morning. That's 395 grams for that one jacket. Um it's not enough to, to replace the down. It's not warm enough to replace the down. Um, but it does have, but wearing a down jacket in that situation, like I said, where you're doing a bit of bush stalking, uh, wearing a down jacket, I think, would be a bit too much. So that's something I'm going to think about is, is that insulation um, for me, because uh, that's definitely an area that I could potentially look to lose a little bit of weight in. Oh, the other thing I will, I, I didn't mention before, I do have two beanies. So I, I have the, a thin merino beanie, um, which is great for wearing underneath your cap. Um, you can throw it on and just keep a little bit of insulation in. And I also have a uh, QU, um, the QU Keen Eye beanie. Um, and it's a synthetic fleece um, with a, a, a waterproof outer layer. Uh, and that's a really warm um, beanie and I'll often, I'll, I'll put that on, uh, as soon as we stop the glass I'll put that on, you can put it on, it's big enough that you can, and stretches that you can put it on over your cap or um, or just over over the, the merino beanie and I'll also wear that at night. Um, I don't, I, I see a lot of guys buy uh, tops with hoods in them. Mm-hmm. and jackets with hoods in them i don't like hoods um i find them to be a pain in the ass to be honest um particularly on shirts that you're walking around in um uh, particularly in australia you you end up having to push through a lot of thick bush it's very just, tight it's caught up it, it gets caught up yeah. stuff drops off yeah. you know and next time you go to pull it up uh, <laughs> you end up filling your, your back up with sticks and <laughs> leaves point. and and I've I've had um, uh, hairy caterpillars oh, drop yes. into it as yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. and thankfully um, the, the hunting partner I was with at the time he noticed it before I pulled it up, but um, you know, and, and it ended up on my back. But um, yeah, so and and even if you're in snowing or if you're in snow or it is snowing, you know, it it just fills up with ice, and uh, when you pull it up, you know, you get a. Um, an injection of uh, of cold water or ice down the, the back of your shirt. So I I don't like hoods. The only jacket I have with a hood is the um, down jacket because I don't plan on walking around in that and I generally pull it up and keep it on. So because I don't like the hoods, I also run two neck gaiters and I have a um, uh, merino neck gaiter, which I will wear majority of the time. And the reason, the main reason for having that is it's nice and light and it, it will absorb the sweat um, and 
does sort of offer a bit of insulation. It's The merino's no good in the wind. The wind just blows straight through it. But a big reason for keeping that on is the sun, mm. uh, keeping the sun off the back of my neck because I'm wearing a cap instead of a broad brim. And uh, as, you, as you're aware, Australia is a great place to get skin cancer. So main reason is sun protection for that. But uh, the second one I run is a synthetic neck gaiter. Um, it's Kuyu, um, I think it's the Peloton material. Um, and that main reason for keeping that in my pocket is for the wind when it gets cold. So it offers much better wind protection. I can pull that on, take it off very easily, very quickly. Um, you don't have uh, the issue of, of like with the hood stuff falling down. Um, you can pull those gaiters. I pull them up around my the back of my head and my ears and cover my ears. I can pull it up around my face to protect from the wind there, keep you warm. And obviously the main advantage is that it um, covers your face. So you can tuck it up around the, your nose and under your eyes and it shields your face. So if you are doing a bit of bush stalking and, and you think there's something nearby, it obviously... Um, you know, shields your face and you don't have that big... Sounds break, yeah. Yeah. yeah big white, big yeah. white blob. Big big white blob uh, yeah. staring at a deer for them to... Or, or whatever animal you're hunting for them to, to pick up on. Um, <clears throat> so, other than, than the, uh, the the gear that we were walking in with... Um, uh, sorry, other than the clothing we were walking in with, the other gear that we were walking in with... Um, that I carry uh, is a set of walking poles. So I use the Black Diamond, um, I think they're Ergo Cork. Um, I'm not sure if they make them anymore. I haven't seen them around. Uh, I've, I've had them for years. They're aluminium. They have the clip lock um, stays on them. They're not a, a twist lock. Uh, I've had twist locks and generally uh, I haven't liked them because they've failed and particularly as they get older and that friction point sort of starts to to wear, um, just uh, just haven't trusted them as much. So found these. These were recommended to me by um, uh, the guys down at Hunt Shop in Albury, uh, which is a, a great shop and I think I mentioned to you, I was Hope, hoping to on the way back from the trip to stop in there, but mm. we ended up going a different direction. Didn't yeah. go through Albury, but yeah, Hunt Shop and Albury, great, great shop, good people, um, genuine advice there. They won't try and sell you something just because they've got it in stock. And as I said, I've had those for a number of years. I've taken them on every trip ever since I got them, um, and I, I've been in leaned on them so heavily at times. I thought for sure I was going to break them, and uh, I haven't yet. So highly recommend, and I carry two of them, particularly on the, the backpack hunts. If it's, uh, if it's just day hunting, I'll generally only carry one. Um, but uh, there's a lot of benefit to carrying two poles when you're carrying a heavy pack. It relieves, I think I read one time, it can relieve up to 25% of the, the weight placed on your, your knees yeah, okay. uh, as you're hiking uphill mm. or downhill by, by leaning and pulling on the poles. And I like the shape of the ergo handles. Um, other ones that I've tried with, um, you know, shaped grips and, and finger grooves and so forth, I just found that um, I didn't hold them the way that they were intended to be held. 
it just wasn't comfortable and ended up causing blisters on on some of my fingers so i know you uh, you didn't have a pole on this trip because you uh, you broke it or lost it in mm. uh, in new zealand um but the other thing i was carrying which uh, which you liked was the mountain stick uh this is a carbon fiber um it's a bit of a hybrid uh, between a, a walking stick and a uh, ice axe type thing um and oh, the, the sorry the walking poles were 510 grams we weighed them this morning and the mountain stick was 654 grams so i generally would uh, walk in with the walking poles and leave them in camp and then i would uh, hunt every day with the mountain stick i love the mountain stick just i think we mentioned in the last podcast but the versatility of of that um you know the, the stick is amazing i think i you know as soon as we got out i actually looked them up and um it's definitely going to be on my purchase list i see they have come up with i think a version 4.1 at the moment so they have made some changes since the version that you've got there tobias but what a cool piece of kit um, i was using as a walking stick for the majority of the trip and it's just yeah i loved it it was um a go-to piece of piece of kit nice and lightweight but um, nice and strong, and like you say, you never know what kind of conditions you might get in that you need that, not so much in Australia to an extent, but um, still nice just having that, that, that ice axe feature um, in, in the unit, so it's definitely um, going to be one of my purchases I will make shortly. Yeah, like I said, I, I was carrying, I probably wouldn't uh, on this trip normally carry both, um, I would either carry one or the other, or maybe lose a, a walking stick and... and carry the mountain stick in one hand and, and the walking pole in the other. Um, but it was more more sort of testing it, running it, seeing um, seeing what I liked about it and what I didn't like. Yeah, that was that's potentially one one thing I could leave behind to um, to save a bit of weight on a similar trip again. So what would you leave? Would you leave one walking stick and take the mountain stick or leave the mountain stick or how would you what do you think you'd do? <sighs> yeah, good question. Um We'll take all three still. Yeah, yeah. It's honestly, it's hard not to. It's hard not to want to take all three. Um, I really like uh, walking in with both sticks, and um, you know, like on the walk out, we we, you know, we put down um, put down a few k's fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. We we sort of weren't mucking around. We we were talking about doing a bit of glassing on the way out, but the fog rolled in and so we, we just went, oh, well, bugger it. We're, let's get we're out just, of here. Yeah, yep. let's just get out of here. Um, so having both of those poles, it, um, it really helped. I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, as young as you and um, you, uh, you certainly had a lot more fitness, uh, mountain fitness, um, than I did. Um, my, uh, I wasn't able to, to train as much as I wanted to before this trip. To get myself in shape uh you'd obviously had all that that month in in new zealand so you had a bit of residual fitness from that i, I think i remember at one point we stopped at that hut and uh, i dumped the pack and i'm sitting there puffing and panting and you're you know <laughs> sitting there. and i said you know you could at least pretend to be puffed and breathing heavy you know to make me feel better um so yeah, for me, uh, as my uh, my body ages and and things start to wear out, I think um, it's hard not to justify bringing both. I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll think about that. Uh, mm. I guess we'll find out on on the next trip whether yeah. I bring all three or not. I'll, I'll definitely borrow that mountain stick off you um, if I haven't purchased one by then. <laughs> Let's say that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and like you said, they are. Uh, he has made a few improvement, a few changes to it. I don't know whether I'd classify them as improvements. Actually, he's made some changes, but um, I would, I've been pretty happy with that that um, that mountain stick. And and I did look at the um, uh, the new one that he's running after the trip, like you mentioned. And um, yeah, for me, I, I'm just not sure whether I would. I can't justify hmm. buying a new one just simply because of the changes he's made. I'm I'm so happy with the original one. So other than than those, the other bits of bits and pieces that I I had um, on the pack that I was running, I use a Rhino 650 uh, GPS. I, I also had an, an inReach, but I'll I'll come back to that. The I like having the uh, the gps function on the the rhino and uh, the rhino is also a uh, a two-way radio um, a group of us years ago um, all bought one each so that we could use that as communication it does it is supposed to have a five watt radio on it but in all honesty it's not a great radio and it's not a great gps it kind of it does both but it doesn't do either one really well so if you were looking for a GPS and you didn't necessarily need the radio, uh, I'd probably recommend looking at something different than, than the Rhino. They do have a 750 out now, um, and I, I know they've made some improvements on it. Um, and it's about the same. I don't think you're going to, um, to get any, uh, anything lighter as far as GPSs go. Uh, it's got a reasonably big screen on it, so yeah. I haven't done a lot of research. I haven't bothered looking into any other options on that because I've been I've been happy with that. And um, I did run it the whole time on this trip um, so that we could log our, our kilometers um, just out of interest. Normally, I wouldn't do that. Normally, I, I would just try and conserve the battery uh, and only turn it on sort of when I needed to, to mark a point or, or find my way to something, to a, to a waypoint um that just that just hung hang on the pack uh so that it uh it could log the trip the whole way um in the pockets as well i uh had a a uh, leatherman multi-tool this is one of the original multi-tools they brought out it was given to me as a gift many many years ago so there are lighter options out there uh that one weighs 148 grams uh, i'm happy to carry that because of the nostalgia attached to it um uh, sorry, the, the Rhino 650 weighs 341 grams. Also had three spare rounds in the belt pouch. Uh, they weigh 120 grams for all three. And my hearing protection as well. So I use uh, Axel. I think it's called the Ghost Strike. Um, they're electronic uh, earplugs. Really like those. They, um, they actually have uh, microphones on them, so they're sound enhancing. So when you're stalking, um, you can have them on. You can still listen to external noises. And then uh, as soon as you fire a shot or your mate fires a shot, um, they just click in and, and block out the sound. The main reason I got those is for because I was hunting with my son a lot now. And I insist on him wearing hearing protection because I made the mistake years ago of hunting without hearing protection and consequently now have... Uh, cicadas ringing in my head all the time and when we used the um uh the earplugs uh he couldn't hear me yeah so and you're yelling at each other you're yeah to, yeah yeah and i'm trying to trying to whisper to him yeah. and he can't hear me so i've got to you know 
grab him on the shoulder and distract him and that sort of thing. So did a bit of research and um, Axel, are, um, there, are, there are a few options out there and there are probably, in all honesty, some better options out there, some higher quality ones, but you're going to pay for them. Mm-hmm. Like they, they are literally in the thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, these ones here, I jumped onto their website and signed up for a newsletter and they send out promotional emails all the time. And one day they sent out an email saying we're offering a two-for-one deal. So I jumped on it, grabbed them, and I got two sets for the price of one. So one for my son and, and one for myself. And we'll wear them uh, when we're red deer hunting. And they're just great. You can hear everything. You can hear the deer roaring. You can hear... They actually increase your hearing ability as well. So they'll amplify uh, external noises. So... Um, the only problem is if you're wearing them all the time and, and they're on all the time, then your battery life yep. uh, gets sucked out. So you'll get you'll get basically one day out of them. Um, so we, when we're red deer hunting, we'll come back to camp, put them on charge for the next day. So in this case, I put them in my um, pack so I could access them easily in case we needed to, um, and the situation demanded. Um, but I didn't run them all the time because uh, we weren't, actively hunting all the time uh, on this trip anyway. I also carry a, uh, a little knife in my pocket. Um, I use the Razorlite EDC knife, and this has got a replaceable blade on it. And it's not a surgical blade. It's a particular one that the, that the company makes to fit their knife. The beauty of this is um, you can... And, and I like to have a separate knife to my kill kit because... If you're cutting up some food, or um, you know, have to do something where you're you're uh, transferring it into your, you know, transferring the product into your mouth or something like that, it just creates that I guess that element of of sanitation. There's not cross contamination, but I, I just got tired of having to sharpen uh, blades. Mm-hmm. So the beauty of this one is, you come back from a trip. And take the the blade off and put a new one on, and it's good, and to, it's go. good to go again. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Other than that, um, the usual sort of things. Are, I keep a little bit of electrical tape in my uh, belt pouch there for um, retaping the muzzle when you take a shot. Um, some people may not like putting tape over their muzzle, but I've done plenty of research on it. Um, there's plenty of videos on YouTube about whether taping your muzzle affects your accuracy, and it, it doesn't. Um, there's a, a really good video by uh, MDT, the people that make the, the rifle chassis. They did uh, testing on their uh, one of their accurate rifles at 600 yards. Taped, untaped, they found no discernible difference. So... For me, I will always tape my muzzle. Uh, I do have a muzzle brake on, so um, I just put a couple of layers of tape up the sides of that and then wrap it around. It gets blown off long before the, the projectile ever comes anywhere near it. So I think the, the peace of mind of having a, a tape muzzle and not having things uh, end up inside your muzzle, I, it hasn't happened to me, but one of the, the people I was hunting with once on a trip they somehow they ducked under a tree and um the muzzle hit the uh, the, the tree and they ended, actually ended up with a piece of bark wedged inside their their muzzle 
Um, so yeah, I, I'll never, never not tape my muzzle. And uh, the old surveyor's tape, the old pink tape, great. Uh, it, it weighs nothing. Um, great for for keeping, just to mark a spot. You know, if you take a, a long shot, I'll uh, I'll mark sort of where we took the shot from. Um, so you know, you can always come back there, or you know, you can hopefully see it from the other side of the the gully um, to try and find. Uh, you know, if you've got to try and find uh, a blood trail. Uh, where to start from you know you can you can always sight back and and find where you shot from and it um uh helps to to locate that yeah such a good tip because it's so easy to you know spirit of the moment you take the shot next thing you whip off and, and you kind of look back and think you know was it out there was it there but if you just take a little bit extra time with that pink flagging which i also also carry um Oh, it can make such a difference with trying to track that animal. Mm. Even um, I've used it for blood trailing as well. So you know you'll you'll mark the spot where you find your first blood, and then you can you know you'll, you'll start your, your your radius search and find your next spot and mark that. And then and after a while you you can kind of look back and you can see you know almost a straight line sometimes is the to help you predict where the next blood spot might be and and keep going that way. Obviously, uh, you know, don't encourage leaving rubbish in the bush. So go back and and pick your your pieces up. Um, but a lot of that stuff, if you if you for whatever reason don't, uh, you know, if you miss a piece or, or you know, don't get the opportunity, uh, that stuff will degrade um, under UV. So uh, it's it's not going not going to be a long term um, sort of cause long term damage. I guess. I also um, put a piece on my like my GPS, my knives, just bits and pieces that I'm going to, you know, they're quite easy to put down and, and walk away from. Um, I find it just a great way just to visually see, hey, there's my there's my knife or bits and pieces. So yeah, great way just to help identify it. Mm. Even marking, I've used it to mark camp uh, where I've done, uh, you know, like a through hike type of thing and uh, changing camp every mm-hmm. day or two. Um, sometimes um, it's great to just wrap it around a, a tree, you know, particularly if you're tucked away in a, in a bit of scrub, uh, wrap it around a tree near the near an opening and then you know you're going to be walking back at night time and and that's easy to pick up in your headlamp and you go oh, that's right I've got to turn turn in here and, and camps you know 100 meters away or something because so. it can look so different at, you know under the um, under your you know your headlamp it's just you go around and around circles trying to find camp so mm. any little indicator to help point in the direction is going to definitely help mm. um, inside your pack as well um, what uh, what other things are you keeping in there, like the the water bladder and? Yeah, so I thought I'd just jump on a couple more things there. So I'm running a Black Wolf three liter hydration bladder. So I have previously run one and a half to two liter hydration packs, but for me, I prefer the larger volume. So I personally go for the three liter, and I try to have that full from when I start. So it is an extra three kgs on the back, um, but we weren't super sure about water. Um, supplies in this area so if we're walking in with the maximum amount it's just going to make life a little bit easier or you know just not going to have to rush us to try and find a water source um, once we got to our camp spot so I'm running that on um, for the hydration bladder the one thing I didn't mention that's also on the external side of my pack is a peak design uh, capture clip with the uh, Arca-Swiss, um camera clip so I will talk about my camera gear a little bit later but it's just a quick release system that allows me to have my camera mounted to my, my arm strap. 
um, which is excellent. So I've, I've constantly got my camera there um, on a quick release system, um, which is attached to my pack. So I'd highly recommend that for those guys out there that do like that enjoy taking um, you know an additional camera um, over their phone into the bush. So. Um, what about you, Tobias? What are you running water, water bladder-wise or hydration bladder? Yeah, so I have the um, uh, HydroPack um, water bladder, a three-litre one inside the, the pack, and um, the Stone Glacier, you can buy a, um, a water bladder carrier that sort of straps into the, the stop, top of that pack to keep it in place. I went to that one a couple of years ago. I've had a couple of... I've had quite a few water bladder, bladders fail over the years, and... Uh, one of the keys to uh, successfully walking in with a water bladder as well is to not overfill it. So um, even though it's a three litre one, I think I only put about a litre and a half in it um, just so I had accessible water because um, I had the, the hose running out to the, the external of the pack that I can access. Um because when you, um, or I think what happens is when you uh, load your pack up on the hike in, uh, if you've got, um, you know, a lot of water in there, it, it just seems to find a way that all that weight and pressure, pressure. Yeah. yeah, seems to find a way to make the, the water bladder fail. These ones, um, though, haven't had, I haven't had any issue with this one yet. And it's one of the, the wide, I think they call it a wide top one where, you know, the whole top of it is open mm-hmm. and it folds over and then you slide the, the locking mechanism across and that, that sort of locks it all into place. Um, the, the connections are all very secure. Uh, they've all got a, a rubber O-ring on them and it's, it's quite a firm connection as well. That once it's locked in, it doesn't seem to, to have any sort of movement. So it leaves me with a lot of confidence that, um, that it's, it's not going to leak at that point because... One of the other places I found they leak is um, where they just have the, uh, the the plastic hose insert that kind of you know gets pushed in under pressure, and uh, it might have like the, the serrations on it. Yeah. Um, and I found that that uh, that seems to be that has failed at that location for me before. Definitely with the Black Wolf one, that is one of the the. the the weaknesses of it is where it connects on the actual hose to the bladder, like you're saying with the little notches. Um, I've actually had to put like a O-ring style to tighten it on there to make sure it doesn't mm. slip, otherwise it just fails. Yeah. The HydroPack ones too, they actually send you a uh, little tube of lube. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't bring it on the trip for uh, for obvious reasons. I don't want to have that, uh, <clears throat> that dispersion cast in my direction. But... Um, yeah, and what they actually recommend is you use this and lubricate the O-ring uh, okay. regularly. So I, I normally just, if I'm unplugging it and plugging it back in, I'll um, just uh, put it in my mouth, put a little bit of saliva on it to, to lubricate it so it's not going in dry because uh, that's obviously a wear point then if, if the, the rubber isn't lubricated. You know the old saying, there's always time for lube. Um the other water bottles I brought in as well are, again, HydroPack, um, the two-litre, um, I think it's called the Camp bottle, the Camp, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, not too sure on the name, it's a, a um, larger one, again, it's, it's flexible, um, it's actually got some, um, some sort of strap mounts uh, welded onto it as well, um, and that's just a bottle that I could use to collect water in or keep water back at camp. 
Um, and two of the one liter stash bottles. Uh, now these are a wide mouth uh, bottle. Again, flexible, they compress right down. And why I went to these and like these, um, as opposed to the Nalgene, I used to use Nalgene years ago. My only problem with the Nalgene is when it's empty, you then have this uh, plastic bottle uh, in your bag that's just taking up space. Um, and when it's half full, then you've got water sloshing around in, in the sound of water sloshing around in your pack too. Yeah, I think that Nalgene are just so overrated bottles. I don't know why they seem to be so popular, but to me, at the times I have used them, they have a pain to drink out of, they slosh around, or they're empty and, and cumbersome. So for mm. me, I've, I've got no time for them. Yeah, I, I do know they're indestructible and they won't leak. Um, yeah. So that, they are advantages with the Nalgene's. But yeah, for me, um, in this situation anyway, uh, I just, um, yeah, didn't want to, didn't want to, take them anymore didn't want to carry them so i actually found stumbled across the uh the hydropack stash uh years ago and i got the one liter ones because with the uh steri pen mm. um you know you can only treat up to one liter of water and with the wide mouth on it as well you can get the steri pen in there and and stir it around and and make sure you stir the water up and get it all uh sterilized um the other thing to note too is that the diameter of the mouth is exactly the same as a Nalgene okay. because Nalgene sell a insert that goes inside the, the mouth that uh, has a little little piece cut out of it to make it easier to drink out of. And that fits inside the mouth of these. Yeah, I saw those uh, in your ones. Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, it, it's got the advantage of, you know, you fill it up with water, you can sterilize it. Um, it's a lot neater if you're pouring um, hydration mm. uh, powder in or, or something like that, uh, you know, instead of trying to get it through a narrow opening. Uh, and then you put the uh, the little insert in, put the lid on, shake it up, and uh, good it's go. good to go, easy to drink out of. And then when it's empty or when it's half full, you can compress it down, lock the lid off, mm. doesn't slosh around. And then when it's empty, it just collapses down and you can just throw it into the the side pocket of your pack or, um, you it's know, takes up. And it's not rattling around. It's a matter of the material that, you know, that rubber material just yeah. nice and quiet and yeah. takes away. And yeah. And um, I, I also use them and I was a bit uh, hesitant to do this at the start. I actually went and bought myself a second one in case I ruined the first one when I was testing this. But um, you can fill them up with hot water. And this is one of the advantages of Nalgene. So I wanted to test this with, uh, with this bottle. Um, to fill them up with hot water and throw them in the end of your sleeping bag. So you've got essentially a hot water bottle to yeah, okay. help warm your, your feet up. Yeah, nice. Um, and because it is a, a softer, flexible material, I was worried that the hot water mm. would, would expand and perhaps or, or even melt it or deform it or something or other. Um, but it didn't. And um, it didn't force past because mm -hmm. the hot water, of course, expands and the air inside there expands. And it didn't force past the seal or anything like that. So it didn't leak. Um, so I was confident to be able to, to do that and throw it into the, the bottom of the sleeping bag as a hot water bottle. And then the next morning you've got a, a bottle of water, um, yeah, you know, for your coffee yeah. or, you know, breakfast, uh, that sort of thing. So yeah, really been really impressed with those. Um, and, uh, haven't, um, haven't had a puncture in them yet. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to keep using those. Nice. 
the other thing I uh, I had to attach to the to the outside of my pack for the walk in was the seat mat uh, that mm. I use. Oh, sorry, I should uh, should mention the weights of those. So the three bottles together, the two one liter and the one two liter, uh, were two hundred and fifty three grams for the three bottles. So I don't know how that compares to a Nalgene, um, but um, you know that that's still bugger all weight to carry for for four liters of of uh, water carrying ability. Um, so the seat mat that I I have is a um, cut down Thermarest um, mattress. So it's a closed foam cell mattress. Um, the it's the the long one, the full length one that they make. It's not the they actually do have a little seat. I think it's called the Z Rest, um, which is a smaller version of it, but it it concertinas up on it itself. Um, this is actually the full sleeping mat. And the reason why I did this, I think I saw John Barclow did this on, on one of his videos. I've actually cut it down to about three quarters in length. And the reason I did this is it gives, uh, not only is it, is it a good seat, um, so you can fold it over or even have it you know, three layered and give you that extra padding. Um, which is good if you're sitting on particularly rough, rocky ground or or a big rock or you know, having to sit on a log or something like that. Um, it just adds extra thickness to the padding. And being as long as it is too, I should, should get it out and measure it actually, just to give you an idea of the length. Um, but being as long as it is, I can lay down and I can stretch it out and lay down on it. So if you want to have a, an afternoon nap, put it up against your pack, use your pack as the pillow, lay down and it covers basically from my shoulders to my butt mm. so when you're laying on cold ground it's a it's a insulation layer uh, you don't end up with a cold spot on your back and again particularly you know as you age sleeping on uh, laying down on cold surfaces is not great for your, your muscles and joints and the other advantage is if my um, uh, air mattress goes flat gets a hole I can use this as, a, as an emergency backup, yeah. something to sleep on, so I'm not sleeping on the cold, hard ground. So I might actually go and get it, and uh, I'll run the tape over it. Mm. A bit of a just, measure? Yeah, just out of interest, sake. Yep. While you're doing that, I might just carry on with a bit of a chat about my bino harness and things that I, I run um, for my setup. So every hunt I do, I always run a bino harness. So when I'm hiking in to hunting, I'm always running, running the bino harness. Um, for me, I'm running the Bush Edge, or they've done a collaboration with the actual Twin Needles who who make the uh, Bino Harness, which is their version two um, option of it. And I love it. It's um, super durable, super comfy, and probably one of my main bits of kit that I'd recommend to someone. If you haven't tried a good quality Bino Harness, then I'd definitely recommend um, giving them one a go. It's just a comfort and ease of having your binos plus a few other items uh, tucked away there uh, in the bino harness has been just just excellent. So I run the Twin Twinito bino, bino harness with the Minox 8.5 by 43 mil binos. Um, once again, I've had those for years, good quality glass and relatively just, yeah, just a good all round uh, set of binoculars that I use. Um, in addition to the Binos also have a hunter's element bino pouch um, that just attaches to the one of the, um, the straps there for the bino harness and that 
um, and in there I run a Sigsaw a Kilo 1800 rangefinder. Um, that rangefinder does run with my my scope, so it's one of those Bluetooth. You know, you dial your your animal, and it'll actually range through the scope. Um, and then the only other item I do run in my rangefinder is a knife, um, and I'm just running the Dog and Gun branded RNN blade, um, which is the helium model. So super lightweight. Um, it has the paracord on the on the handle, and that always lives in my my bino harness. So pretty much if I need to drop my pack. Um, oh, and finally I also run my phone. So phone for navigation that always lives inside my bino bino uh, harness as well. So I can drop my pack relatively quickly, and with that bino harness on, I've, I've pretty much got everything I need to bone out a deer. I've got navigation. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the kind of. Uh, Go to our go with my bono harness. How'd you go with your length there, Tobias? Yeah, so it's just over a meter, um, about a meter. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm not. I'm not. I, I work in millimeters. Uh, it's a thousand and fifty yep. millimeters, yep. Um, and the weight that we've got was one hundred ninety-eight grams. Okay. So two hundred grams for really versatile. Um, yeah, a bit of equipment. Uh, I have heard other people talk about um, using their um, their mat to sort of signal mm-hmm. um, people from long distance. Uh, so it is um, it's silver on one side and, and sort of coyote colour on the other. Yeah. Um, whether whether you'd be able to see that from a distance or not, I don't know. But um, yeah, I, um, I I don't go on any hunts without it now. Um, regardless of whether it's a day hunt or, or backpack trip. And the other part of it that I cut off, uh, I actually gave to my son. Oh, nice. Um, so he, he has a similar sort of thing as well um, <clears throat> that he takes with him. For this trip, I wasn't. <clears throat> well, I don't usually run one. And I was trying to madly scramble around the hunting expo and then a few other options to try and find one for this trip. Um, but it didn't come together, so I wasn't personally running one. But... I will be looking at purchasing something going forward because just that little bit of extra insulation, once again, it's just trying about keeping warm when you are in those glassing situations, your hands, your bum, the things that can, just those little um, comforts can make you just be a little bit more alert and yeah, definitely recommend it. Yeah, so uh, you were talking about your bino harness. Mm. Uh, my bino harness, I use the um, Kuyu uh, Pro bino harness. Um, I have a, a little flip out pouch on it as well and I also use their bear spray uh, holder now I don't need it for bear spray uh, I use that pouch to carry my glasses case in so it's um, just the right size actually for the case that my glasses needs to go in and when I'm not wearing them I prefer to put them away in the case in the hard case so that um, they're not at risk of getting damaged because uh, if you put them on your head, they always forget they're there and uh, they end up falling off the top of your head and bouncing off the ground. And um, uh, I, uh, my, I dropped them recently and one of the, the lenses actually fell out. So um, the last thing you want to happen when you're out in the bushes for a lens to go uh, into the long grass. Um, so... My binoculars, I'm running the uh, Leica range-finding binos. I went away from carrying a separate range-finder years ago. I just found the um, uh, having the integrated 
rangefinder and the binoculars so much easier, so much more convenient. Um, you know, it's when you're looking at something, um, looking at an animal or, or an object trying to, to get a an idea of a range and then you've got a, you know, they're 10 power binoculars and then you've got to pick up your rangefinder, which is, you know, might only be four power. It looks different and uh, the, the time it takes to find where you were looking at can can sometimes make all the difference. And I was always constantly asking you just to range a spot because just the ease of you looking at the, you know, the area and asking, you know, how far is that, which saved me just, you know, laziness, I suppose, of getting my rangefinder out. But I was constantly quizzing you to bias on distances, which made it nice and easy. Mm. And uh, it's always a good way to pass the, the time as well, you know, when you're, you're sitting there and you're not seeing anything. You can play a bit of a game and say, okay, how far do you reckon it is to that rock or how far is it to that one there or um, things like that. And it, it's, um, helps uh, pass the time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> helps pass the time and, and sometimes it can uh, can be difficult sitting out there for long periods of time. Um, also on my binoculars, I use a thing called the Bino Buddy and I got this from the Go Hunt shop. And this is a, a neoprene... Um, cover that goes over the, um, uh, the eyepiece of your binoculars and essentially uh, sort of locks in against your, your face and blacks out around the, the outer edges. Um, so it just stops that when you're, when you're glassing and, and you've got the sun, you know, to, your, um, to your, your right or directly to your right or left, uh, it's, um, you know, the, it just stops the, the sunlight coming in around the side of your binos and, and gives you a much clearer picture because you've got that black edge all the way around it. Um, they also make one for, for spotting scopes as well, similar sort of thing. And I just find that it, it's much easier, much more comfortable um, for long glassing sessions to have that there and it, it helps you really focus on um, on what you're looking at rather than you know trying to tip your hat to stop the, the sun coming into the side or... Um, I often you know, use the, uh, the hand method, you know, you're trying to use your hand to block that glare, but then like you say, then you kind of lose the focus on what you're actually trying to do. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you, you, you know, you're bumping your, your binos and, and I, and particularly if you're, if it's, um, not on a tripod and you're freehanding it, um, I'll, you know, hold my binos, uh, lock my fingers into the brim of my cap and then use my thumbs to sort of push that bino buddy up against, uh, my temples and it just locks it in, you know, nice and securely, and and you're not, you're not having to try and do it one-handed while you're holding the brim of your hat down, and you know, shaking and mm-hmm. so forth. So, that's a, a good addition. I can I can thoroughly recommend. Um, also on the binos, I've got a um, Asiac equipment um, bino a, a tripod adapter. So this is just a really lightweight clamp that goes onto your, your binos, um, bolts on. Uh, it's got one screw in it. Uh, sorry, not, not, not as in a screw into your binos, but on the clamp. Uh, and on the bottom of it, it's got a Arca Swiss um, attachment, or it's integrated into the, into the, the bino uh, adapter. It's a really clever bit of git. Um, lightweight, very low profile, you know, it doesn't hardly at all, all affects coming, the binos coming in and out of the bino harness. Made in Alaska, I think he 3D prints them, um, makes different sizes, so um, pretty much has a, a size to suit any binocular. 
Uh, I think he actually makes some for rangefinders now and some spawning scopes too. So uh, AZIAK equip- A-Z-I-A-K equipment. Um, so it's worth looking into. Okay. Um, I put a, uh, a video up a little while ago on my um, uh, my social media, but I might actually put it on the uh, the Australian um, Hunting Backcountry podcast uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. That would be a smart thing to do. Uh, on the uh, the little slip-out pouch, I carry lip balm. Um, always end up with cracked lips mm-hmm. on a cold weather Definitely. hunt. Um, I have a little small torch, a little uh, it's a triple A battery style torch, just as a backup uh, in case I need something, uh, you know, light on something or uh, to look into something. Um, you know, I can put the torch in my mouth if I'm, you know, fiddling with something in my hands. Uh, and uh, I didn't weigh it, but it, it, it weighs uh, next to nothing. It's only basically the weight of a triple A AAA battery. Um, the old smoke in a bottle, the, the wind checker. Um, also have a lens cloth hanging off the bottom of the, the bino harness. Uh, in that pouch, again, I carry three spare rounds. Um, on the side pocket, I'll carry my mobile phone. Um, now that's, uh, I've got an iPhone 12, I think it is. It's 210 grams. Um, so all up uh, before the mobile phone. Uh, oh, and also I'll carry a little bit of, uh, another little bit of flagging tape in there. And I also have a pair of um, custom molded uh, earplugs. So these are the ones that they'll uh, you sit down with them. They mix up a two-part thing, stick injected in your ear, and um, then you end up with a, a very snug, custom-made um, earplug. Um, so I'll always carry those with me as well uh, in one of the side pouches on the the bino harness. Uh, just if I um, um, need to access them quickly, then I know they're in there. Uh, again, I, uh, I learned my lesson, lesson from many years of it, um, of shooting without ear protection, That uh, the importance of, of having them in there. So the bino harness with all that, uh, without the mobile phone, weighs 1.73 kilos. Um, that's without the glasses as well, but the glasses are, are very light. They're actually the... Uh, titanium frame glasses Uh, the mobile phones 210 grams on top of that Um, I was also carrying an inReach which I was um, mucking around with uh, with moving it in different places Um, I have uh, again it comes from Asiac equipment Uh, they make a little um, uh, mounting adapter for uh, some of the uh, the Garmin products so the inReach um, now this is just the this is the first in reach. It's not the mini two. Uh, that weighs 109 grams. So I was moving it sort of between the bino harness and different locations on my pack, just trying out different locations for the um, the adapter. Uh, the uh, as opposed to uh, using the um, the carabiner and the strap um, because then uh, I, I didn't uh, one thing about that I, I didn't like it flopping around um that was that was the only thing about the inreach uh that i didn't like um now like i said that's the first inreach the they now have an inreach mini 2 um which has some software upgrades which we discovered uh the difference between them when we were trying to link up 
devices. Um, so just be mindful of that. Work it out. Our advice is if, if you've got a hunting partner and you're going to use the inReach to message each other, work it out before you go um, because we spent uh, quite a bit of time. Thankfully, we still had mobile phone service and we were able to to use Google to find the answers to work out what the problems was uh, and, and worked it out in the end. Um, yeah, there's a there's a, a software difference between the, the models. Where are we up to now, Jason? Well, I think we pretty much covers the bino harnesses and things. I think we'll jump now onto maybe the tent situation, the tent, and then go into our sleeping um, sleeping arrangements. So, for myself, we're both running uh, individual tents for this trip. I was running the MacPack Nautilus. Uh, this is a two-person tent and it weighs 2.4 kgs so hindsight probably going forward i'll be looking at a smaller single person um you know i can probably save probably one point you know one kg there so i will be looking at what my options are in regards to a uh, a single person tent but yeah i was running the backpack nautilus two person and Nice, easy tent to set up. It went very well in the weather. We had everything from rain, snow, sleet, and I had no issues with um, any you know water ingress into the tent. Uh, nothing from the floor. So overall, I was very happy with with how it's performed. I've used it a lot over the years, and I've never had a drama with it. Um, and it is relatively small, but there is, I suppose, an extra kg or so just with that with the size of it. So yeah, I was happy with happy with my tent setup. When you say that's a two person, is it a uh... A genuine two-person, could you actually put two people in there, or is it... Yeah, it's actually a genuine two-person. It is a decent size inside. Um, I actually brought it because we thought we had an additional Blake was going to come join, and he could have you know jumped in there quite easily. Um, so, yeah, it is actually a, a two-person. Yeah, sometimes they... Uh, a lot of times, uh, tents get advertised as a two-person, but mm-hmm. uh, the reality of putting two people in these tents is, um, uh, yeah, not, not always a reality. So I was running the Hilleberg Acto, um, one-person tent, and the footprint on that as well. And I had the um, uh, the cold weather inner. So I also have a, a mesh inner for it for warmer weather hunts. But uh, this one had the um, the full inner. That weighed uh, 1.833 kilograms. Um, it's a single pole design. Uh, it is. Um, you can, it's it's got a little bit of, a little bit of extra room. So one man and, and their gear. Mm. Um, I'm six foot, nearly six foot two. Basically, uh, the tent was plenty long enough for me. I actually had room at the end of my uh, sleeping mat to to put a bit of gear out there. Um, so it's not a it's not a one man where you uh, you feel claustrophobic and you know you're touching touching the tent everywhere like i said i had enough room in inside the tent to keep my gear in there i put my rifle in there next to me i had uh, my food bags um i put my boots at the end of the at the end of the tent um to stop them from from icing up freezing um and yeah still plenty of room for for me and and uh, to stretch out comfortably so then I suppose what we'll do is then we move on to what we're actually sleeping on and in. Um, so for myself, the sleeping bag I was using is probably about 15 years old. It was a MacPack Sanctuary uh, 700 XP down sleeping bag. 
Now this weighs around 1.5 kgs and packs relatively small being a 100% down bag. Um, so that was my sleeping bag. It's rated to I think minus 15, so it's one of the top end bags at the time. Saying that, I was predominantly warm for the majority of the trip. I did have a little bit of issues with cold feet um, on a couple nights. Uh, in addition to the sleeping bag, I was running one of the Alton Goods uh, insulated sleeping mats, and that's rated with an R value of 4, and came in at a weight of 510 grams. Um, in addition to that sleeping mat, I also had one of their fitted sheets, um, which is actually surprisingly 350 grams, so actually a little bit higher than what I was expecting, and also using one of their ultralight pillows, which was a total of 104 grams. So my total sleeping setup with the sleeping bag, mat, pillow, etc., came to 2.5 kgs. So including the tent, that's putting me close around that 5 kg mark. Um, but in saying that, with that setup, I knew that when I got back to camp, I could get in there. I was going to be warm, I was going to be dry, and I was going to be comfortable. So, first time or main, second actually, second trip running the Alton Goods uh, sleeping mat, one of the uh, mats which comes with the additional bag that you use to kind of force the air into the mat. Um, amazing, game changer, love it. So, if you haven't used a you know insulated sleeping mat with that with a baffle kind of system, I'd highly recommend checking them out because it makes um, this such an improvement on your night's sleep, which is which is so important um, for being ready for your next day hunting. Yeah, quality sleep can make all the difference. Um, I know I've, I've done trips previously where I've tried to go like uber lightweight and um, yeah, have tried to sleep on. Um, uh, not not these quality sort of mats. I, I won't necessarily mention the ones that that I was on, but um, <clears throat> and you just you're cold. There's cold spots. You're uncomfortable. You wake up the next morning and you feel worse than you, mm-hmm. you did when you went to sleep. So yeah, def- definitely quality of sleep is um, one of the big keys in the backcountry to um, recovering properly from the the day and uh, being ready for the next day. Um, Nothing, nothing worse than waking up tireder than what what it was when you went to bed. Um, did you mention the pillow then as well? I did. Yes. Yeah. So that was about hundred grams for the ultralight pillow. Yeah, and that that slips into a pocket on that sheet. It does. So yeah, yeah it fits in there. Which and the, the thing I loved about the fitted sheet is it kind of stopped me slipping around on with my sleeping bag. Then I have my pillow tucked up under the, the fitted sheet, and that once again that holds that in place. So. Mm. You kind of wake up if you do wake up during the night you're pretty much in position you haven't slipped and slided all around the tent um which just once again improves that kind of um the quality of sleep mm, yeah i think that um that's the having the pillow locked in place is is also something that's very important because um you know previously where you've got i've done trips where you you've got a pillow and it's uh it's you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and your pillow's sort of laying next to you and, and then you end up with a sore neck and so forth. So what I find I do now is um, I'll put the pillow in the head of my sleeping bag to hold that in place and then um, I can sleep with my head out of the sleeping bag and so instead of using the hood of the sleeping bag, uh, you know, I'll use a beanie instead. Um, so I have the Thermarest Neo Air X-Therm sleeping mat. 
um, that's got a R value of 6.9, I believe. Uh, I think they've actually brought out a new model. I was listening to something the other day and they uh, have another version of it out now and I think it's even higher R value again. So I haven't seen too many sleeping mats with an R, uh, an R value higher than that or, or around that. I know there is another, there's a Cedar Summit uh, version they brought out, which is pretty high. Um, but it's 664 grams for that sleeping mat and it rolls up uh, probably about the size of a... Um, the old Nalgene. Nalgene, thank you, <laughs> the Nalgene. Yeah, it's about the same size as a Nalgene, probably slightly smaller. Um, I have a Thermarest Q-Star sleeping bag, which is a minus six. Uh, it's a down sleeping bag, uh, 1.15 kilos. We weighed it this morning. Um, I, I like that mat, I like that bag. What I really like about it is it has some straps that run around that attach to the back of the, the bag that run underneath your sleeping mat. So there's one sort of roughly just below your shoulders and one sort of down around hip. Um, and that locks it on to your sleeping mat. So I, uh, if you, what I've found previously is if you're sleeping on a bit of a, uh, a, a you know, because you can never find a perfectly flat campsite. So it's always a bit of an angle that you're sleeping on. And I always end up sliding off the mat and, and ending up partially on the on the ground, you know, on the floor of the tent. Um, I've I've had to pack things around me previously, you know, put your tuck your your food bags in around you and and um, yeah, bulk stuff up to to help try and prevent you sliding off. But um, by having those straps, it just it stops that and. The other thing I found is that when you do move around inside your bag, when you want to roll and sleep on your side, the the bag stays still and you move inside the bag. So that's the big advantage for it is you don't end up getting tied up, tangled up in your sleeping bag and waking up you know in the dark and not knowing how to get out of your sleeping bag, not knowing where the zip is and you know or lying on the zip and and the things digging into you. So I'm sure everybody's got experience with that if you've you've slept on the on the ground in a sleeping bag, and I also have the uh, it's a Cedar Summit pillow, um, little um, I think it's a medium size. It's got a a felt sort of um, side to it. Um, probably uh, probably going to try another pillow for the next trip. I wasn't um, wasn't hundred percent. Uh, happy with that one I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it it's just uh, I, I yeah I think I, I want to try something different maybe I need a slightly bigger pillow um, yeah or something maybe a little bit thicker did you play around with the inflation of the pillow because I found with the, the um, older goods I really had to deflate off probably over inflated first up but really had to drop that pressure down to kind of make it a bit more comfy yeah yeah you really don't need much no. air in it no. and um yeah, this is the first time I've I've tried a pillow. I've tried a blow-up pillow. Um, normally, I've used you know a stuff sack with your with your down in it, or um, clothing, or um, you know the the lid of your um, your pack, that sort of thing. So this is the the first pillow I've I've tried it, and I've had it out in a few few different hunts. And um, yeah, I'll just I think maybe I'll go for something 
a little bigger yep. yeah, and just see how that goes. Another another shelter that, uh, other than the tent um, that I had, was a, a small tarp. And uh, if you listen to the first podcast, we were sheltered under that as the uh, the rain and uh, and snow came down onto us. Uh, that's made by Tear Gear, a, a little company in Tasmania. Uh, it's three hundred eighty four grams. I think it's two and a half meters by. Sorry, I think it's three meters by one and a half meters. Or three meters by two meters, something like that. It's not super huge. I reckon it would be three by one and a half because it didn't really have that kind of width. Maybe maybe two meters yeah. might have been a little bit better potentially yeah. set up. Yeah, I, I got it just as a just as a very yeah. sort of you know quick shelter type thing. Not not for um, uh, you know not for living under. Just as a as a throw up shelter, I carry it with me uh, sort of every day when we were out. If we needed to sit out a rainstorm or, or something like that, um, and it's also, um, I guess, blaze orange in colour. Mm. Uh, again, I chose that colour just uh, for secondary use in case there was an emergency and we needed to signal or you know uh, have somebody spot us from the air or from a distance or something like that. Um, I got a, a bit of uh, cheap paracord off eBay, tied that on. Um, to a few of the guy at points and when I ordered it I, I got a couple of um, uh, tabs put in the middle of it so that you could actually hang it uh, so if you were sitting under a, a tree or a branch or something like that you know you could you could hang it from a vertical location and then and then sort of tie it out and use trekking poles and, mm. and that sort of thing as some makeshift poles so pretty versatile bit of gear um, and to be honest, that that's the first time that we uh, that I've used it was on that trip, um, and that I should point out too that 384 grams. That's actually with uh, I think I've got eight pegs yeah, inside eight pegs the bag in as well. Yeah. Um, lighting. Um, so I I actually have three headlamps, but uh, the third one I keep in the emergency kit. So have two headlamps I've learnt over the years to carry more than one headlamp like I said before in the back country uh, one is none two is one previously the for whatever reason a headlamp I was using has failed um, it wasn't a battery issue it was the, the headlamp another time I, I dropped one and broke the um, the clip that holds the battery compartment shut so um, it was it would then spring open and uh, subsequently the, the light would go out because the batteries would lose connection so you know you'd have to strap the thing up with uh, with electrical tape so i have uh, two phoenix headlamps actually one i bought years ago and one i bought at the the deer expo and i bought the second one because it has the uh, the red light the red light bulb in it as well um which uh, it's good for you know early morning leaving camp where you don't need a huge amount of light you just need to know sort of where you're putting your feet uh, but you don't want to to be too obvious you don't want to you know potentially spook something um, and the other lamp has uh, it's quite powerful it's got a um, I don't know the lumens off the top of my head um, again I'll, I'll probably post pictures and details on on the Instagram page um, but it's more for uh, that walking back to camp at night uh, you know or, or having to find your way somewhere it, it 
it provides plenty of light, plenty of visibility uh, in the dark conditions. And is that an addition? Then you've got your fourth light on your bino harness. Is that an additional one or not? Yes. So then I've got the little the little torch, yep. um, little AAA battery torch. Um, and the other bit of lighting that I have, so that those sorry the weights for those 148 grams for the uh, white light and the 157 grams for the white light red lamp uh, headlight. Um, and the other bit of lighting that I, I generally bring is a little solar lamp. Um, it's 73 grams. Now it's, um, it's actually a little uh, blow up lamp. So it's got some LEDs in it, um, plastic uh, case. You blow it up, couple of breaths, and um, and it uh, it's you know a little small cylinder, and it's got a uh, solar panel on the end to to charge it. Um, it also has a red light on it and flashing lights. So if you're uh, ducking out for an afternoon hunt, um, sometimes I'll hang it in a tree, turn it on, leave it on flashing. So again, when you're walking back uh, to camp at night in the dark, you know you you eventually see there's a, a flashing light and, and help you get back to camp. Probably two criticisms with it is it doesn't have the ability to be externally charged. So you can't, so it, it's completely reliant on the solar panel to charge it. Um, so if you have a lot of cloud um, and you use it a lot, it, it runs out of batteries. It won't charge. Um, and what I would actually like on it, and we, we spoke about this, and I'm pretty sure the technology exists out there already, would be to have a switch on it, a light-sensitive switch, mm. so that you could hang it in a tree all day, it'd charge up, and then when yeah, the light faded to a certain degree, it would actually automatically switch on, mm. rather than having to leave it on all the time. Exactly, and wasting that battery. Yeah. Well, yeah, we maximise it. And we actually did use that light when we did that water run mm. as a great visual kind of indicator of where camp was and just helped, you know, aid us in that direction of camp. Yeah, yeah. It's good to have it in tent in the tent at night too as well. You know, it's um, a bit easier to find than stumbling around for a headlamp in the dark. Mm. Um, I was actually just, I took only the one headlamp in on the trip and I was just running the O-Light pre-run two. Uh, great, great headlamp. I have done a review if you check out the Liquid Antler. A YouTube channel you can see a little bit of a review on there quite a um, yeah robust design and you had no issues with it um, probably in hindsight I probably should run an additional little emergency light uh, and there'll be something I'll probably look into yeah look I um, like I said over the years I've, I've learned lessons the hard way um, if your headlamp fails you're um, mm. you're reliant on your mate then and um, uh, slows everything down a lot yeah yeah Good way to find all the trip points when you're walking back to camp. <laughs> exactly. So, um, cooking gear. So we actually shared uh, cooking gear on this trip. I um, I brought the stove. Jason was uh, just borrowing mine. I um, I used to use uh, jet boil. Um, I've had a couple of jet boils over the years, and and nothing wrong with them. Uh, I just um, made the decision a little while ago. I wanted to try something different. So I got a, a different burner. Uh, I went to a Soto Windmaster, um, which is just the, the, a burner that screws onto your, your gas canister. Um, 
comes with a, um, a pot stand that's sort of uh, spring-loaded uh, thing that you have to um, manipulate onto the, the top of the burner. And I got two titanium pots. So I got the Tokes titanium 700 mil and a Tokes 900 mil pot. The 700 mil, I can fit the stove and a gas canister and a couple of other little bits in to the 700 mil and then the 700 mil nest nicely in the 900 mil. Um, I don't use the lid on the 700 mil, but I kept the lid for the, the 900 mil. And I also have a uh, Piezo uh, lighter, an MSR lighter. Even though the Windmaster has its own Piezo uh, ignition system on it, I just like running a separate one because um, you know, I don't want to use that one. They've, they've all got a limited sort of lifespan and uh, I'd rather try and preserve that one for as long as I can. And I have a little uh, silicon pot handler that just slips over two fingers and it's um, got a little sleeve so you can um, take the pots off uh, straight away because the the Tokes pots don't have any insulation on the handles and uh, it will transfer the heat into the handle. So it's too hot to pick up once you boil up, uh, some water. It's too hot to pick up with your bare hands. Um, I also put a bit of uh, paper towel in there as well, um, just to, to clean up uh, when I need to. Uh, and all of that, like I said, it all fits all inside each other. And then the, the pots come with a um, mesh bag. So I can put them in the mesh bag. Underneath it all, I tuck in a uh, collapsible Cedar Summit cup um, it's a silicon uh, cup with uh, raised ridges all around it so it I think it's called the X cup um, so you can hand one of the, the downsides of the silicon cups is uh, it transfers the heat so if you're trying to drink a hot cup of coffee uh, it's often too hot to to hold in your hand so these ridges kind of uh, add a little bit of insulation to it so you can actually handle it um, and it, you still use it, you know, you can wrap your hands around it and still you know, get the heat to help warm your hands. And I also uh, tuck in there a fork and spoon combo. And I think this is a human gear. It's a two-piece one and it actually uh, connects. So it connects in the middle and folds into itself. So you can use it as a short spoon or short fork or when you're eating dinner out of your... Um, uh, you know your L4 packets. Uh, it uh, it they connect together and it extends. So all of that in together is 642 grams. Separate to all of that as well. Uh, now there's a, a, we we carried a spare gas canister um, which is about 100 grams uh, traditionally, and separate to that as well, I also carry a long spoon. Uh, it's a Cedar Summit plastic spoon. Um, I don't use the titanium or, or alloy spoons. I, uh, I, I had a spork uh, years ago and it punctured a, um, uh, the bag that it was in and so I just prefer the plastic from now on. Um, that I didn't weigh that, but that's, uh, that weighs next to nothing. And the other things I also bring as well are a titanium grill. Now this is a um, Alton Goods titanium grill. 
Uh, it's probably, I think, about 150 by probably 250 millimeters in size. Um, now, it weighs... Now, I also carry a small, thin piece of cutting board. Um, so this is very thin, probably about a millimeter thick plastic uh, cutting board. I cut it to about the same size as the grill. Um, it's off, off one I had in the, the kitchen for years. Um, I like to bring that for cooking a bit of camp meat. So the cutting board is there to um, cut the, uh, the the meat on. Um, I just prefer keeping. I know you know you can you can cut it on a log or you know cut it on your backpack or or something like that. But I just prefer having a separate cutting board just to to prevent getting blood on the things that that you don't necessarily. Uh, need it on and I, I know you can wash it off but uh you know if it's uh after a while particularly if it's at the start of a hunt uh, you know splashing blood around on things that you don't need it tends to smell and attract flies and and the thickness that you've gone for you know it weighs nothing doesn't it it's just it just tucks in with that titanium grill mm. and you wouldn't even know it's there yep well the two of them together weigh 170 grams yeah uh, and that's that's the grill inside a, a, a plastic bag as well so uh, I, I treated it with uh, olive oil, so um, that's why I keep it inside the plastic bag. And I've, I've used that before. We, we shot a, a deer for some camp meat and, um, you know, we had a little fire and put um, cooked the, uh, the, the back steaks over the, over the fire on the, on the grill and I carry a little bit of uh, olive oil and a packet of seasoning mixed with me as well. And it's just... Um, Whilst you don't necessarily need more food, it's just you know a different element, mm. and uh, you know a hot hot bit of meat in a, on a cold night certainly helps to raise the morale. We did already speak about um, some of the issues that we had with that, um, with the gas mm. mainly. Um, we went through two gas canisters, so there's um, a hundred gram canisters. Yeah, before the trip was up, we couldn't actually uh, we didn't have enough gas to sufficiently make a cup of hot coffee on the last morning um, and we did make a um, uh, some hot chocolate one day on the side of the hill with a small fire so that's the uh, that was the uh, the main reason uh, that I went to the titanium pots was to have that flexibility to be able to use it over a fire um, instead of having to to always cook over gas so we were able to do that one day we we boiled up um, some water and had a hot chocolate so uh, two meals every night, cup of hot coffee each day each, and uh, a couple of hot chocolates, and we used up uh, both uh, gas canisters. Mm. So I did a bit of research when I came back, um, got on to, watched a, a few things from John Barclow, um, and the uh, I'm going to say that the, the temperature and the altitude affected uh, the gas mm -hmm. so yeah in in retrospect we were contemplating bringing a third canister and I said no because I thought those two would be well and truly enough and uh, to be honest it, it, on other hunts that I've done I've never never had the issue of running out of gas so whether this was um to do with the and that though on those trips I was using a jet boil, so that mm. was one of the issues that you raised was perhaps the jet boil is more efficient than the 
than the, the Sodo Windmaster that I was using. Uh, I'm going to say it's probably a combination of all three, the, the altitude, the temperature, and the, the burner that we were using. Um, so in hindsight, what would we do differently? Would we bring another one? Would we bring one big gas canister and a little one? Or do you think the system needs to be uh, mixed up? Next time, I probably would bring another unit personally. I, um, I've got a, I got a jet boil at home, and for the weight and size, and also just from my previous experiences of cookers playing up, um, probably would have brought an additional one just for one additional canister. And it would have given us just a little bit more, you know, easier in the evening just to cook, you know, together instead of waiting for one to finish. But yeah, so probably an additional unit, I reckon, in hindsight. Yeah, look, the other thing too, uh, I guess, that we need to consider is some of the meals you had were the... Um, on, so on track meals, which were heating up the water and actually placing the set, the packet inside the water and then heating the heating the packet up instead yeah. of actually um, boiling the water and then entering the contents into the packet. Yeah, so we would have to boil the water and then keep it in a, in a rolling boil to, to heat that meal. So that's probably another factor that needs to be weighed in as well is that, um, you know, with the dehydrated and, and uh, freeze-dried meals, you would just boil the water and pour it in then and that would be the end of the the cooking so yeah so perhaps now knowing that you know these are these are things you learn um if we were going to take those meals again definitely bring another canister or, or another stove like you say um i i looked at um some white spirit stoves mm -hmm. as well um so i'm i'm definitely considering um uh, perhaps buying one of those and, and trying that on the next trip uh, and just doing uh, a comparison about the the weights and how much how much more weight it's going to cost to bring yeah. uh, the 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 white fuel in and and one of those stoves. I suppose the only additional things I had from my side was more about the cutlery side. Was just I had a dog and gun just to just the enamel mug, pretty standard. Um, I was running a Cedar Summit titanium spoon, just run a spoon, no fork or anything like that. And the only other thing I had was a MacPack collapsible bowl. Um, I think there was the half a litre version and hindsight it weighs nothing. It doesn't really take up much space, but I didn't even use it the whole trip. It just sat there. So I, I, to be honest, I wouldn't bring it again. Uh, and I, I've, I've seen similar sorts of things and have considered bringing them. But again, it, to me, I sort of wrote it off and thought, well, it's just something else to um, to carry and it's, uh, it's something else to then have to clean. Mm -hmm. And if there's no real good reason to be uh, eating out of a bowl... You know, there's no reason you can't eat out of the plastic bags and, and things like that. So um, we won't talk too much about food. Um, I'll perhaps do another uh, breakdown on, on food. Yeah. What I will say, though, is uh, I took too much food. I took uh, way too much food. I would... I, I, I used to... I, every time I'd come back from a trip... I would make notes of um, what worked, what didn't work, um, and used to log the sort of food that I would take uh, and, and consume so that I could then adjust it for the next trip. Um, because it's been you know, f probably four years since I've, I've done a proper backpack trip like this, I couldn't find that, that list again. So um, I did say in the previous podcast, I kind of panic bought um before the trip 
and was worried that I didn't have enough food and uh, went out and bought a few more things and threw them in and um, uh, and that that uh, was a problem because I uh, uh, came back with far too much food. Um, so I'll break that down differently, but um, what uh, what I did enjoy um, and was worth bringing in was uh, the hot chocolate. Um, having the uh, the dog and gun hog chockey was um, uh, a couple of days there was a, was a real pick me up. Yeah, definitely made a, made a huge difference. Um, having a nice warm brew on the side of a hill, so yeah, it was uh, definitely very very worthwhile. Um, the next thing I guess we might have a chat about is just what I call my oh shit bag or my survival kind of gear or you know if something does happen on the side of the hill and you know you're in a position that hey when you you know something's going on here I like to carry with me so I'll just kind of run through this what I take and I think it probably is time for a bit of a review of it make sure I am carrying everything I need but at the moment my survival kit or my oh shit bag is a uh, Cedar Summit 10 litre dry bag and I have this in a, a bright yellow colour uh, nice and easy to see, accessible. I let Tobias know at the start of the trip, we kind of both did this, you know, where, where these are located. Um, within there, I have my Garmin 66i inReach GPS. So that's the inReach unit that I'm using. Uh, so that's a built-in GPS plus uh, inReach uh, satellite, uh, satellite communication. I also have a KTI Safety Alert PLB. Uh, so that's a standalone PLB unit about the size of of your palm, uh, nice and lightweight, um, and I've, I've always carried a PLB um, at all times. Just one thing to mention, if you are carrying a PLB, make sure that you have registered the, the unit, and I believe you do have to do a renewal of the unit or the registration every two years. Usually you get an email to notify you, but just make sure your registration is up to date if you are running one. Uh, additional bits of items I'd run is a silver compass for navigation if I need it. Um, and then I just run all my, all my kind of standard plasters, Nurofen, uh, crepe bandages, etc. I also run a lighter, matches and rubber um, in a plastic bag. So if I need to start a fire, I can. I've got a whistle for an emergency. If you um, do become lost or someone is trying to find you, a whistle will use a lot less energy. Um, to raise an alarm, so it's a very easy way to kind of help direct uh, location or you know people that are looking for you in your direction. Emergency blanket uh, that's always lives in there. So if I do get myself in a situation, say I break my leg, I've um, activated my inReach. I need to stay warm, and the emergency blanket is going to be my my go-to. Get myself inside there, try and keep that that body temperature up, and play the old waiting game while search and rescue come in. Uh, to hopefully locate you. So I've got my inReach, I've got my PLB, they've been notified, and now it's a matter of, of the waiting game and staying warm and dry. Other little things I have in there, spare shoelaces, um, just in case I bust um, my, my boot laces, a little tape measure, um, just in case you are successful in a hunt, I always like to have a bit of a measure up and see, see what I'm dealing with. And uh, splinter picks, I use those constantly to get little bits out of your hand, so I have a few of those in my emergency kit and then finally I run a lightweight easy lap diamond steel um, so like unlike some people that run a individual kill kit I don't really run a kill kit at all I just have this emergency kit which has um, all those bits and pieces it also has an additional spare 
um, Gerber knife, which is a Gator Mate, Gator Mate knife. So I run the two knives, one lives in my emergency kit, um, and that's what I use pretty much for my kit. Oh yeah, I don't have a standalone kill kit. It's all just all in that one, one bag, and it's kind of my go-to. So continuing on with where we left off, uh, unfortunately Jason and I uh, in our last recording had to uh, rush off. We um, went over time and, and we both had some uh, uh, commitments in the afternoon that we needed to um, attend to. So we had to kind of pull up short. So we've um, actually come back together now. It's been a, quite a few weeks since we, uh, we got back together and um, some things have obviously changed in the meantime but we'll uh, keep going through the list and finish it off and um, probably do another episode later on about some changes that um, that I'm making to my kit anyway just from from lessons learned on this one so following on from Jason's uh, emergency kit um, in mine I've, I've got a little uh, lightweight zip-up bag that I carry and it's uh, an orange colored one I think it's a QU brand but there's plenty out there that that make them that color obviously easy to find when you when you're searching through your bag or or at night time in there I've got a uh, lens pen um, which is a um, just a little plastic tube basically that's got a a brush on one end and and a soft um, chamois on the other end just for cleaning um, dirt and, and um, grass seeds and dust, and, you know, water off your uh, water stains off your uh, your lenses. So whether that be your, your scope or your binoculars or, or um, spotting scope, um, I also carry a little pack towel. Uh, it's a little microfiber cloth, um, weighs next to nothing, and I find that quite useful if you're doing creek crossings and um, you just want to. Uh, dry your feet off a little bit or um, even before you get into bed at night if you're um, a bit wet from the rain or, or snow you can give yourself a bit of a um, uh, pat down and uh, dry your hair a bit uh, so you're not completely wet when you get into bed very small headlamp this is a coin battery headlamp I think it's a, a Petzl brand uh, it's got a string um, headband on it uh, it's incredibly light and that's just uh, an absolute emergency, last resort type of uh, headlamp. Um, sometimes when um, when everything else fails or um, or even if you find that you have to lend someone a headlamp uh, just to get them, uh, you know, out of somewhere, then, then that's a good one. Uh, roll of paracord, um, some very lightweight options for paracord. Uh, the one I've got uh, is uh, reflective. I think it's two and a half mil. Um, uh, and it's reflective as well, so uh, it does stand out at night time in your headlamp. Uh, also carry a, a folding bucket as well, and this is just a little sil nylon bucket. Um, see the Summit, I think, make this one uh, very lightweight. And when you're, I've, I've found this useful at times when you're collecting snow or ice that you're going to melt for water, you can load that up, take it back to your um, uh, your stove and uh, and and keep refilling your um, your container out of that because as you as you're trying to boil water, snows uh, predominantly well not predominantly but a large percentage of of snow is air, so it you might fill your uh, container 
uh, with the, the ice or snow, but uh, when it starts to melt down, there, there's actually not a lot of water in there. So once you get a bit of water going, uh, you can throw more snow in and just keep topping it up. Um, a permanent marker, always carry a, um, a Sharpie and some waterproof notepad pages. Um, so in case you, again, as a last resort, in case you need to leave a note for someone, um, or you know, explain some some directions to, um, to for whatever reason. This is an emergency situation, so uh, it's um, something I've just carried over the years. I think that was left over from when I was a, a Boy Scout, to be honest. Um, it may not be necessary in this day and age with uh, mobile phone technology and uh, you're, you're in reach and that sort of thing. Still always good to have though, you just never know what situation you're going to get yourself into and, and pen and paper at the end of the day could just be something that may help out down the track. So yeah, I, I actually run the same. I've got um, a, a Sharpie and, and some waterproof paper in my one as well, which I forgot about. Mm, yep. I, I used to also document, I, I used to bring a little uh, notepad in with me and I would document things as well as, as I was learning them. So uh, I didn't do that on this trip, but uh, that again could probably go in there too. Um, in particular, I used to, I think I've mentioned it before, I used to keep a, a sort of stock take of the meals that I ate, the, the dehydrated meals, because some of them were um, less than palatable. So you'd make sure you made a note so that when you came out next time and and were preparing for the next trip, you knew not to buy that that certain flavour uh, or to buy two of the of the ones that you really did like. Also carry a boar snake in there and um, it's just a pull-through style boar snake. So it has a, a brass weight on the end um, which you feed down your barrel and then um, grab that and pull it through and it just clears out any obstructions or water or anything like that. Obviously if you've got a, um, a serious blockage in there uh, you know, if you, you've dropped it in um, uh, some solid mud or, or something like that and you've got compacted stuff, it's not going to work. But it just might get you out of a, a situation where um, you've got some debris in your barrel that you, you need to clear out. And I, uh, I've i never done it myself, fortunately, but uh, I've been on trips where uh, other blokes I've been with have taken a dive into... Um, uh, into the creek uh, during a creek crossing. So we've used it for that just to pull through, um, get the water out of the barrel just to, um, you can use the, the rope on it then to help you disassemble bolts. I have heard recently some uh, bad things about boar snakes though. And uh, my gunsmith uh, has reported that he's actually had to clear stuck boar snakes out of three separate barrels. I don't know the story behind the blokes that were using them, how they got stuck, whether they were the right caliber for it or something like that. But he said uh, it is just something to be mindful of to make sure that if you are going to use a boar snake that it, it is a quality one um, and that it's the, the right one for the, for the rifle caliber. I've got a selection of cable ties in there as well. Um, these are... My father's an auto electrician, so I've got a limitless supply to them and different sizes. These, over the years, have come in very handy for making um, repairs to things, for um, fixing things into trees, for attaching things onto backpacks, for um, making makeshift um, 
tent poles, uh, fixing tent poles, fixing boots even. Uh, I had a mate who um, had an old pair of boots and uh, of course on the trip they decided to, the sole decided to give way uh, just because he was such a tight prick that he didn't want to buy himself a new pair of boots before the trip and was trying to make them do. So a couple of cable ties and um, some tape, we fixed the, the sole back on and um, uh, it wasn't great but it uh, it got him through the trip and got him out again. Um, very limited, very little weight penalty for carrying these and, and they're incredibly versatile and strong and, and very useful. I also carry the instructions to my inReach in a uh, clip seal bag because I don't use it enough to be familiar with it. It's not like my mobile phone where I'm using it every day and it doesn't hurt to have those instructions in there because if you did have to hit the uh, SOS button, obviously you're going to be in a state of uh, elevation under stress and uh, your memory might not be working as well as it should so it doesn't hurt to have those in there. Uh, I did carry some hand warmers. Um, these are little packets of, I think they're, they're activated charcoal in them. You rip the, the packet open and then the oxygen activates the, uh, the contents and they, uh, they warm up over several hours. We used them one night after we had some wet boots to try and dry the boots out a bit. I'll put them in the, in the boots. Um, however, I think that maybe these ones that we had were expired mm. because they didn't seem to work. No, there wasn't much heat coming out of them, was there? Yeah. Uh, I got onto these in America when I was over there. The, the outfitter, outfitter we were with, they uh, gave us a heap of them to, to carry in and we were on horseback, so, um, you know, weight wasn't a big issue. They are a little bit heavy, so uh, I only brought four of them on this trip. Um, I'm not sure I'd, I'd bring them again, but um, I know in America they were, they were very handy. We'd open a, a new one each morning, slip it in behind your glove and one down inside your socks just to try and warm the extremities, um, make sure that the blood had a bit of warmth in it that was, that was going out to your fingertips and your toes. Um, on uh, yeah, for in Australia, I don't know if I'd worry about carrying them again. But they, if you do suffer from cold hands and cold feet, they are an option for you. Waterproof matches, uh, they speak for themselves. Obviously, um, cigarette lighters are great, but they don't always work, particularly if they get wet or you're at elevation. Again, the, the same issue that you have with your jet ball canisters, the the gas suffers because of uh, it is a pressurized um, container. So waterproof matches are always a fail-safe. Fire starters, uh, I carry some a little tin of pyro putty. Um, there's a, a company in Australia, Game On Outdoors, uh, that imports it. Uh, I got onto that over in the States again. Uh, the guides over there all carry that with them. Uh, it's, um, it's very safe to carry. You can, you can take it on, um, on airplanes. Um, and it's just an impregnated sort of fibrous material. Um, that will burn for a long time so if you do have kindling that's slightly wet you can put a big lump of that in light it up it'll burn it'll dry out the kindling it'll get the fire going and then you know you can build from there right kill kit um, I carry a, uh, a separate little kit um, with the, the bits and pieces in it for processing meat and skinning um, so inside that I've got a bone saw. This is a, a Gerber folding style bone saw. 
Um, obviously a saw is very useful around camp as well if you need to uh, remove a couple of branches, um, things like that for, for your campsite to get your tent to fit in. Um, you can cut a little bit of firewood and so forth as well if you, if you need to. When, uh, when you do shoot a trophy animal, uh, if you're not doing a, a euro mount and you just want to bring out the skull cap, uh, it's excellent for just cutting up that, uh, that skull cap out and bringing the antlers out and it saves a bit of weight and not having to carry out the, the whole skull. Scalpel knife and scalpel blades. I use a eagle hawk uh, blade handle that the uh, scalpel blades fit onto. So very similar to all of the ones that are out there. Uh, it's a uh, eagle hawk knives make a skeletonized version of it. I also have both of the uh, skeletonized eagle hawk knives as well, the the Skinner and the Drop Point uh, knife. Um, I probably wouldn't. I probably just on this trip I, I carried both of them, but I'd probably just carry. I'd leave the Skinner behind, I think, for now on, just to cut a little bit of weight out. Um, I, I manage quite well with just the, the scalpel blade for doing the finer work if you are caping an animal out, and the, um, uh, the drop point knife just for processing. And game bags. Um, I use the Kuyu brand. I know there's a, there's a lot of brands out there. Everybody seems to have their own game bags nowadays. Uh, I just bought the Kuyu bag um, because I was in Kuyu at the time, and... Um, grab them but um, I, I have seen a few advertised quite recently and in fact uh, Maroka 30 I think have just come out with some okay um, with a really interesting design feature they've got some uh, internal loops in it so you can hang meat inside on a meat hook uh, and obviously the, the game bag then wraps around it and it's not a tight fit so it allows the air to sort of get around but it's it's obviously protected so uh, I'm going to look at those again and a, um, a rubbish bag, I guess you could call it a garden waste bag, uh, a large plastic bag that um, I use to, if I need to um, protect my bag from some leaking blood and so forth. Or I've used them before to sink meat into a, a creek to mm -hmm. keep it cool. cool. Yep. Nice. So yeah, if you shoot an animal for some camp meat, um, throw it in the bag, seal it up to make sure the water doesn't get in because water over the meat is not great uh, there is some bacteria in um, some some water sources that uh, could be detrimental to your meat and i do also carry a, a couple of latex gloves as well um, just to keep my hands clean um, save having to to wash them and, and scrub the, the blood and bits of meat off later on however I've, I've been finding that the latex gloves normally sort of split mm. uh, through the process they don't so last very long do they they, they don't so it kind of uh, is almost um yeah it's almost not worth taking them. Um, what about your kill kit, mate? Well, yeah, like I was saying before, I don't really have a, a, a set-alone kill kit. I do have my knives and things just in my survival kit. Um, in regards to game bags, I just run pillowcases. Uh, I just run those. When I get back, I give them a clean out, give them run through the washing machine, and they're good to go. And just, I also just have a yeah, surgical uh, knife and, and scalpel blade, so just a... Uh, one I got off eBay, very cheap, very affordable. Um, I think I got a hundred pack of scalpel blades and an actual scalpel handle for, for less than thirty dollars just off eBay, which which works well. Super sharp, um, just re reusable, um, you know, detachable blades. And yeah, that's my kind of go-to. Oh, and actually, at the moment, I'm using the um, the dog and gun helium knife, uh, which I used for the first time and yeah great little knife so that's from um, RNN blades or I think they are RNN blades um, Rob Herbert there so 
yeah, that's a super lightweight little knife, and that just lives in my bino, bino harness now. So, uh, yeah, great sharp little knife. <clears throat> in case you get in a knife fight, you need it. Exactly. My, sorry, one thing I'd just add, that my kill kit there I weighed was 464, 464 grams. Mm. Um, so I, I will get that weight down a little bit it always up doesn't it yeah yeah like there's half a kilo um uh, so yeah i'll take that that other knife out and um uh, i think i also carried a spare uh saw blade as well so i might not worry about that um next time um personal kit um this is uh toiletries and and that sort of thing uh i carry some um a tube of uh it's called body glide and it's a um it's going to sound sus when i say it but it's i guess it's a personal lubricant for want of a better term it, it's kind of like a, a moisturizing cream um uh, cyclists and uh, marathon runners uh, will will use this just to, to help prevent chafing um i've uh, found over the years it's um areas that i get chafing obviously personal areas um it uh, uh chafing can a good a decent case of chafing can can oh, and stop you oh can uh, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't care how tough you are it's, yeah it can be terrible so if i can prevent that you know the old saying uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure um yeah if i can prevent that then then i will um so i I will squeeze a little bit out into a clip seal bag and then and then take that along with me on this um, trip. I um, uh, I didn't end up using it, um, but it's there obviously just in case. Some Luco tape. Now I do wrap this around the um, the Nikko pen, uh, the Sharpie, um, and that's obviously for blisters and hot spots and. Um, um, you know anything else that you you need a bit of tape for? Um, sometimes some first aid or um, fixing, uh, you know, something that's that's got a rip in it or something. Um, I do also carry a couple of uh, patches, the gear aid patches, just to do some repair jobs in case I need to. Um, so I've had um, holes burnt or in uh, in items of clothing um caught on sharp sticks and and torn uh, and just had to do a bit of field repair uh, so they they're good for that now dental care um i don't carry a toothbrush um i use these things called wisp um i got them off amazon w-i-s-p i think colgate make them and they're little single use toothbrushes so they're a plastic candle with some bristles and they're impregnated with toothpaste already um, they come in packs of two, so you know you can choose how many times you're going to brush your teeth during the trip. Um, but uh, it just saves carrying um, uh, toothpaste in with you. And and uh, the handle, I think, you can sort of use as a toothpick. I carry a little um, floss picks with me. So again, these are little single-use things. They're a plastic handle, and they've got a, uh, a short length of um, uh, dental floss stretched out and uh, they're very handy <clears throat> excuse me very handy if they're um, there's nothing worse than than having a, a bit of gristle or something stuck in your teeth that um, that's causing you pain and you can't get out 
lip balm um, big lesson i've learned particularly in the cold weather is to carry some lip balm uh, i've actually normally carry one in my bino harness and mm. and then one in my uh, kit for uh, in case i run out or lose it um it, it doesn't take much for cold wind um to burn your lips and um especially being out in the sun as well all the time so that never hurts migraine medication uh, nurofen panadol i do get migraines not very often but uh, there would be nothing worse than getting a migraine out in the back country and not being able to do something about it because standard painkillers don't um, don't do anything for it so uh, as soon as i get a migraine coming on i need to get some medication into me have a bit of a a rest and uh, it can usually knock it on the head and prevent it from from developing into anything too bad Yes, I suppose mine, well, relatively similar. I do just run a normal toothbrush and, and toothpaste. I suppose the only things in addition I'd add that I, that I include in my pack is uh, sunscreen. Uh, I always like to have some sunscreen on me to go in hand with the lip balm, which is super important. Um, a day on the hill, it's amazing how burnt you can become. So um, just to stop that. And then the only other thing is I do carry like a little container of hand sanitizer, uh, which just lives in there as well. Yeah. Uh, and are you a... Uh... Are you one of the, the guys that cuts the handle off the toothbrush to save weight? No, no, no. I'm, I'm lugging it in. <laughs> I have seen it at my dentist. They they were giving away little tubes of toothpaste. Um, you know, it's probably a week's worth of toothpaste in there. Um, so that that could be an alternative to, to the wisp if you if you really wanted to look at saving weight in that area or um, saving space. Um, now, the the hand sanitizer you were carrying, is that uh, for... The toileting, or is that just you mainly toileting? Yeah, for the toilet aspect. Yeah, so in my toilet kit, uh, I do something similar, but I carry hand wipes, dead old hand wipes, mm-hmm. um, and I also carry disposable wipes. I, I um, uh, and people, you know, might might sort of think, well, that's just extra weight. But what you can do is actually take them out uh, a week or so beforehand and just let them dry out. Just leave them out of the packet, let them dry out. And then when you need them, uh, you just use a bit of water and refresh them, and then you've got, um, uh, you know, it's just it's just much nicer on your bum um, than um, than toilet paper. So I do carry toilet paper as well. I um, I try to, uh, I, yeah, I, I've seen blokes carrying like two rolls of toilet paper in with them, and, and you think, you know, how much do you shit? Um, but so I will sort of ration it out a bit and, and work out how much I need for each day. Uh, and that with the disposable wipes, I've never, I've never run out. I've never been in the position that, that I need to go begging someone for, for toilet paper. Uh, I find that I kind of, the first couple of days in, in the bush, I kind of get bunged up a bit. Um, but then after a few days of eating the, uh, the dehydrated meals, yeah, there's, there's usually no problem. Well, I'm a two-roll kind of guy, so I, I cart it in. And on this trip, I remember we are up in those tops, super cold, super wet. And here I was on the side of a hill hanging out with a wet roll of toilet paper thinking, oh, God, this is not great. So um, I chewed through that one roll just because it got so wet on the hill. So I was lucky I had my, my backup roll. Mm. Now, power... Uh, we we did cover this a little bit uh, before about on the drive back I think um, so I carry a spare uh, scope battery so uh, I've got an illuminated reticle it's a little uh, coin battery in the side of it um, you know weighs you know, same weight as a 10 cent piece so uh, I will carry that 
spare uh, any other spare batteries that I need um, I do carry also a spare battery for the uh, range-finding binoculars um, I normally will replace one before a trip before a big trip um, just to make sure and if I do that then I won't carry a spare one but if I have uh, you know used it a few times I'll just carry one anyway um, now the spare battery packs for my Rhino, um, I did carry quite a few in on this trip. I've got uh, two spare batteries and also an emergency battery pack that takes the, I think it's, it's either AAA or AA batteries. Uh, I did carry all of those in with me uh, and this obviously increased the weight quite a bit um, because I was planning on running it all of the time. I wanted to make sure it was on all of the time and also have that, that uh, radio function as well. Um, didn't end up needing them uh, in the end, but um, that was the only reason. Normally I wouldn't carry that many in. Uh, Power bank, the Dark Energy Poseidon, I was really impressed with this. That, um, that did well in the cold. Um, I used it the, the whole time and I still walked out of there with, uh, with power in it. I did bring another power bank in with me. Um, that had some solar panels on it. Um, I bought it just before the trip and that was mainly to run the, the podcast gear and I used it the once, um, put it in the tent um, afterwards and got up the next morning and, and it wasn't working. It was obviously the cold affected it quite a bit. So that's on me knowing that, um, that the cold would have affected it. Uh, that's not a criticism. I, I did that just to test it. Um, and uh, normally, you know, you would have to put that in your in your sleeping bag with you. But the um, just the uh, like I said, the the dark energy Poseidon did do well. Um, there is an Australian importer for those. I can't. I think it might be Survival Supplies Australia who imports those. So cables, uh, obviously, you're charging cables for your phone and um, USB C ones for my headlamps and uh, that sort of thing. Um, and on this trip, I did carry my boot dryers, uh, which are um, something that, that I've had made up for me. My, my father got uh, a couple of little computer fans and uh, mounted them on a, a little plastic plate. And they sit in the top of your boot and draw air out. So these were used in conjunction with the charcoal sachets. So I put the charcoal sachet, the idea is it generates a bit of heat. And then the fans on top sort of draw the, the moist air out. Um, didn't seem to work on this trip because I think the, the charcoal sachet let us down. But um, if, um, if you're going to be constantly, uh, you know, suffering with wet boots, uh, that, that's something. There is a company out there that makes them now. Um, uh, but I think you've got to get them pulled in from America, like everything. So that was just something I took into experiment with. Uh, I think you gave you a bit of a laugh anyway, if nothing else. Did. <laughs> it did. <laughs> I suppose just on top of that, my what I took in was just a 20,000 milliamp, uh, I think it was a Cynet portable power bank, uh, that, which I pretty much used just to charge my phone and also my um, inReach. I, my additional batteries that I did take were predominantly for my camera gear. So I cart a fair bit of camera gear around, so there's just spare batteries for my my Sony and my GoPro and also my Insta360 camera which I was running on the trip and then just a general few spare AAAs um, and yeah that was pretty much my my power supply yeah 
Um, now, glassing gear is the next item we've got. Um, so I had, uh, I've got a tripod. It's a, a Manfrotto B3. I bought it years ago. It's an aluminium one. It's very light. Uh, unfortunately, the um, the trade-off with the, the light um, weight to it is that it, it's not super duper stable. Um, so that's just a, a compromise that you have to make. That weighs 1200 grams just over 1200 grams um, i have made a modification to that um, recently and um, i won't go into that too much now i'll talk about that again another time but um, i've tried to cut a bit of weight out of that that includes the pan head as well and on this trip i was using a tricer lp um, lightweight pan head uh, it's got an arca swiss um, plate on the top and on the bottom of my binos, I've got a Oziac equipment um, mount on there. So if you haven't seen either of those, go and have a look at them. Really good, really lightweight. The Oziac mount is Arca Swiss size, so it just slips straight into the pan head. Um, very lightweight. Um, it goes in and out of the bino harness. Very low profile, so it doesn't catch up uh, on anything. So um, well worth looking into. I've got a Leupold Gold Ring spotting scope. It's only a compact one. I think it only uh, goes up to 27 power um, because I didn't bother going any higher in magnification because obviously the higher you go, the bigger the unit and then more weight. And realistically, for the, the sort of hunting that I was doing, um, that I bought it for, of uh, deer-sized animals, um, so uh, samba deer, elk, uh, mule deer and so forth, red deer. Um, you don't need a lot of magnification to look at them to see whether they're a good deer or not. Um, and at 27 power, you you know, it gives you a good enough indicator to know whether you, you want to walk all the way over there or, or uh, you know, keep looking. Um, if you were doing different sorts of hunting, uh, you know, for example, if you were sheep hunting or mountain goat hunting and you needed to count annuli on the horns, then obviously you, you'd want something a bit bigger than that. But I've found that that's uh, more than adequate for everything I need. Um, and that's 820 grams, that one. Uh, spotting scope, adapter, uh, mobile phone case, uh, adapter for the uh, phone scope is the brand. Um, so it's uh, adapter goes on the eyepiece of the spotting scope and then the, the phone camera lines up with that and you can lock it in and, and obviously record through your spotting scope uh, all of that weighs about 150 grams with the, the case uh, and the adapter and um, so forth and the, you can leave the you can leave the case on your phone the whole time um, yeah so I suppose yeah from my side of things I'm running a slick uh, sprint aluminium tripod not sure the exact weight, but it is a relatively weight, lightweight uh, tripod for, for an aluminium version. Um, on top of that, what I have done historically, I wasn't for this trip, I usually run a Sony um, Cybershot SX60 uh, HS um, camera, which has a 65 optical zoom on it. So I've actually been using that historically or previously for my kind of spotting scope. On this trip, I was running a Sony RX10 version 4. Um, which is a 4K camera with um, a limited, well, it's actually got 35 times zoom. So it's not, you can't use it as well as I was using the Sony as a, as a, as a um, spotting scope. However, it still does the job. So I just use my binos to 
uh, pick out the animals with which I'm running Minox 8.5 by 40s, um, which I mentioned I think previously, and then I just get this the tripod set up and use the um, camera plus the digital zoom version to help kind of see what the animal is, just to help you know scope it out and see see what we're dealing with. Yeah, I've seen a few people using their um, digital camera as a spotting scope mm. alternative. Um, do they call it the bridge camera? Yes, it is. It's a bridge yeah. camera. So you've got uh, the zoom lens and then you've got the digital zoom on top of that. And then um, when you take a photo, you can even zoom in on the photo Correct. even further. So you end up with, I don't know, like 120 odd power or something like that. And they've been excellent. The only probably negative of them is in that low light kind of like anything, even with good glass, you know, that low light, it does become quite hard to, to get a clear image. However, it's my go-to and I've got no plan to purchase a spotting scope. Mm. Right, so sundry items, the next one. Um, these are just things that uh, I've learnt uh, over the years that uh, to carry um, uh, the spare car key is the big one. So I will, if I'm coming in with a partner, I will give them the spare car key to carry just as a, um, a backup in case something happens to me and my partner needs to get back to the car or you know, I, my bag falls off a cliff or something or other, you know, we, we're not stuck in, in the back of nowhere, um, hitchhiking out. Uh, hunting licence, um, my weapons licence and my driver's licence, I always carry those in with me. So obviously in Victoria, you need your um, uh, the game management licence um, and my Queensland weapons licence, Queensland's firearms licence uh, and driver's licence as well. And um, just in case you ever get pulled up and asked for it, I, I never have been. I'm sure there are people out there that, that uh, have come across someone that wanted to look at it. Um, it's just handy to have it. And again, it's, it takes up no room and, and no weight. So um, you might as well carry it. Uh, and I guess um, a driver's license, um, just for whatever reason, I'm, I'm carry it with me rather than leave it in the car in case the car gets broken into it. Um, uh, where we've parked it, uh, or if they need to, uh, you know, identify my body later on, they might find my driver's license on me. No, so for me, there's, yeah, those are just the, the standard ones. I don't really run anything additional on top of that. Mm. And then last thing, uh, things to leave in the vehicle. So I will bring some salt in with me. Uh, I don't bother backpacking it in. Uh, usually I find uh, the cold weather should be enough um, if you shoot a trophy animal and, and you're um, going to be caping it and carrying it out for a mount then um, the cold weather is, is usually enough to, to be able to keep the, the cape um, you know you walk out straight away with it but I have heard blokes carrying um, you know like a, a coke bottle full of salt in with them uh, just to, um, uh, to try and preserve the cape um, some clean water at the uh, back of the car and um, again due to the cold weather don't leave this out in the open make sure it's covered so that it doesn't freeze um, because uh, it's useless to you when you get back to the car if you've got a bottle full of frozen water um, spare gas canister uh, and just a, a couple of other things uh, I do if I've got spare boots, I'll carry them. I'll, I'll bring them in with me and leave them in the car just in case you have a um, an issue with your boots. You can you can quickly walk out, change your boots over, and, and go back in and keep hunting. Um, a shower, a spare meal, some clean, dry clothes, towel, um, uh, and a stretcher. Uh, and you know, in case you get back to the car late at night, don't feel like um, throwing up 
your tent, you can just throw the, the stretcher out and um, uh, get a bit of a rest before you, uh, the sun comes up. The only thing I'd add on, in addition to that, is which, I've, which has got me, gotten me out of trouble previously, is just one of those 12 volt jump starter kits. Uh, super small, it, just, it lives in my ute. Um, and I've done it before, I've left, I've left the lights on the vehicle, I've walked away, um, hunted for the day and I've come back to a flat battery. So mm. uh, that, those things, for the price you pay, they're a great little uh, get you out of trouble kind of piece of kit. Hook that on and they jump a petrol or diesel vehicle, no, no dramas at all. Yeah, that's, that's actually really good um, uh, advice because uh, I did notice the car when we started it after we got back it, uh, it turned over a few times normally it's really good it'll kick over straight away but uh, on that occasion uh, i'd say obviously the the cold weather being out there for those days cold weather took its toll on the battery and um yeah last thing you need but you know having and uh, this is one reason that i'll never buy an automatic four-wheel drive the backup is we could have always pushed started and jump started it um and um and they just kick them over so easily for, them, for the, how small the units are. Um, for a diesel engine, it's amazing how they work. So it's uh, definitely just a, a great piece of kit to have in, in, your, in, your, um, in the ute. Mm, yep. So, um, yeah, my, my next uh, job is going to be going through my gear and trying to trim it down quite a bit. Uh, I want to try and shave... Um, Probably, I'm probably realistically going to try and aim for close to 10 kilos. Ooh, you've got a lot of things to cut out then. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. Um, I, I, I know a few areas I'm going to start with already. Um, so I, I reckon I can, get, I can get five kilos pretty much straight away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, again, I'll, I'll just have to do a bit of testing. And uh, I am going to, I've done quite a bit of research after this trip. And uh, I'm going to get a couple other bits of gear. Um, I'm going to sort out something about that stove. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. not super happy with that, so I'm going to look at, at some alternatives. There may be a bit of a weight sacrifice for that, so um, uh, if that's what it is, and that's what it is. But um, You might end up heavier on your next trip. No, no, I will not. <clears throat> I, I'll, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll only bring one rifle. <laughs> <laughs> you can carry it next time. So... Um, We've also looked at, uh, we've done a bit of research as well, looked at Google Maps and that sort of thing, uh, spoken to some people, got some suggestions and uh, got a couple of um, places in mind for the next trip. Um, we've also spoken about maybe uh, incorporating uh, mountain bikes as well, uh, getting in behind the gates uh, on the roads a little bit further. So um, yeah, be, be, uh, there'll be, there'll be, There'll definitely be a, a round two, and oh, yeah. um, I'm itching to get back down there. Actually, it's um, yeah, it was a great trip, and I'm keen to explore a bit more country down there. Yeah, it's it's August now when we're reporting, recording this this part of it, and um, this would be a great time to be down there, mm. uh, August September. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't quite worked out for us um, with other commitments, but um, uh, there's always next year, and the deer are going to keep growing. So uh, as long as the government Heli colours stay out of there. We'll uh, we'll be right. All right. Well, other than that, I um, uh, yeah can't think of anything too much else to talk about. Um, the hope you've enjoyed uh, our lessons and our breakdown of, of all of our gear. Um, we will be making some changes to some of it, but um, there is quite a bit there that, that we're both impressed with, and we'll be sticking with. So. Uh, we'll keep you updated and um, again if anybody has any recommendations or 
uh, you know of any other uh, companies that might be worth trying um, uh, or, or reaching out to and, and talking about gear, um, yeah, please let me know. Uh, usual through the, the Instagram or, or through email. Um, Jason, uh, again, thanks for uh, doing all this with me. Um, I know that uh, your time is precious at the moment between uh, work and building a new house and, uh, and managing everything else that's going on in your life. Um, so I really appreciated your company on the trip and, uh, and uh, your assistance in getting these uh, recordings done. No, definitely. I love this, I love this stuff. So like, like um, Tobias said, if you do have any questions or suggestions, also feel free to reach out to me on Liquid Antler. But um, yeah, I love it. I love talking about it and um, I'm looking forward to our next trip. Yep. Awesome. Hey, thank you for listening in. If you'd like to contact me for a chat, pass on any feedback, or have some ideas for future podcasts, please reach out to me on Instagram at Australian underscore hunting underscore backcountry or email australian.hunting.backcountry at outlook.com.au. For now though, please look after yourselves and your mates.